2020 WWBA The Big Eight Here we go It's time to talk sports It's real and it's fantastic This is the J.P. Peterson Show I like your stories and your reporting. Great show. We need uh, people that give it to you straight. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That's kind of your calling card, Mr. Peterson. This is the J.P. Peterson Show, presented by FanStream Sports. Now, here's award-winning sports journalist, J.P. All right. It's a happy hump day to you guys. If I sound a little different, I'm coming to you live from my kitchen with uh, Hurricane Tropical Storm Ada upon us. I decided probably not the greatest idea to be traipsing across bridges on this day. So here we are, tucked in our cozy little kitchen. Tally the Wonder Dog is passed out on the couch. Um, and it's a, I might have to do this every day, Radio Johnny. I, mean, I don't have to drive all the way over there. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but I don't get to see your, your sunshine smiling face. So, Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> or uh, or uh, producer Tony. Is he even there today? No. Bet he, I bet he's not even coming no. in. No, he's not here today. He, yeah, uh, he actually had some stuff that he had to get done today. That's good. Well, you just got me today, and uh, we got lots to get to today, and we got a very interesting show for you Um couple of great guests coming your way. James Petraco will join us at 4.15 in the booth with Fox Sports. And we'll uh, go over some of the uh, interesting things that are happening in the NFL vis-a-vis the playoffs. Where are the NFL playoffs going? Are they going seven teams? Are they going eight teams? What is the deal? He'll give us the inside scoop on that. John Ledyard is going to join us from uh, the Pewter Report. I thought he wrote a really good article today kind of detailing the Mike Evans, was he open, was he not open, is Brady freezing him out, blah, blah, blah. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But a really good videotape uh, analysis on the Peter Report. you got to check that out. I think I retweeted it today. If not, you can go to PeterReport.com and, and check it out. So John will join us at 3.30. We'll hash that out a little bit with him. Uh, Kurt Weiler will join us as well from the Tallahassee Democrat. Um, very interesting happenings at Florida State today. Florida State's... Um, Preseason All-American Marvin Wilson is gone out for the year. James Blackman, their former starting quarterback, has decided to enter the transfer portal. And Tamari and Terry, Scary Terry, is done for the season. He's leaving the program to get ready for the draft. So some very interesting happenings at Florida State. And we'll get into that a little bit with Kurt Weiler. Just, you know, right off the top, um, you know, I thought this might happen a lot earlier than it actually did when – when new coaches come in and they try and instill their culture, there's going to be changes. You're typically going to lose anywhere from 20 to 30% of your players, uh, maybe sometimes more. You know, when Charlie Strong went into Texas, there was a lot of guys that he had to clear out. And you see it at every new program when the new coach comes in. There are just players that don't buy in or just don't feel like there's a good fit. And this is nothing against these players whatsoever. They're all probably making the choices that are best for them. Um, I don't feel like this is an exodus from the program because Norvell is not the guy. I don't think it's that at all. I think this is just a very, um, I think it's a very natural progression when you have a new coach. I mean, everything has been crazy in this COVID era. So I don't think you judge Jeff Scott or or Mike Norvell or any first year 
college coach on what they've done this year. It's been a completely bizarre year. It's impossible to inculcate your your culture uh, and, and you're just your regular um, progressions and, and things that you do when you're completely handcuffed by all the protocols. So we'll, you know, we'll leave this evaluation for down the road and, and see how it goes. I, I don't see this as a huge negative for Florida State. I just think it's just part of the process. But we'll get the inside scoop from Kurt Weiler at uh, 4.30. All right, a couple of big notes for uh, the Bucks, And, boy, after watching the tape again last night, the best news I could possibly hear is Ali Marpet is back at practice. And he was at practice today. He's still uh, technically in the protocol. they got to make sure he doesn't have any headaches uh, tomorrow after today's workout. Uh, but typically in a situation like this, if they're going to put you out there at practice, they, they pretty much feel like you're, you're ready to go. And um, I wouldn't anticipate him having – any further symptoms, but you never know with concussions. So I think they're, they'll play it safe and they'll, they'll make an evaluation as the week goes on. But, you know, Joe Haig, you know, he was, he was thrust into a, a situation where, you know, I, I think this is way more on the, the coaching staff. I don't, I'm not sure he's had a lot of experience playing left guard, um, whether he has or whether he hasn't, he wasn't equipped for the job and he's done a really a pretty good job in, in playing tackle and, some of the other things they've asked him to do was an extra tackle, a tight end as they bring him in the game. So it just seemed like he was out of sorts. And when you look at the tape, most of the issues with the offense came right through that gap. Uh, he was getting beat all night. He was the lowest graded offensive lineman, I think, maybe in the NFL this week. So, you know, you get Marpet back and, you know, you're, it's a dramatic, a dramatic difference for Tom Brady. And you never want to put it all on one player. And again, a lot of this has to go on the coaching staff, but that was a huge reason why Brady had such a bad day. Brady, as we all know, is not good on the Chevrolet. He's not going to be the guy that's slipping out of the pocket and, and making things happen. That's not what he does. And the Bucks know that coming in. It's, it's, it, you, but if you don't allow him to sit back there and read the field, then you shouldn't have Tom Brady quarterbacking for you. It's just that simple. So... We'll get into this a little bit more with John Ledyard from Pewter Report because on a lot of the, the plays in the first half, those 14 plays that the Bucks ran before they were down 28 to nothing, um, a couple of them were runs, and a lot of them were routes where sometimes Evans was open, but uh, Brady could not deliver it because he was getting hit by the guy that was uh, rushing against Joe Haig or through that, through that gap and a couple other pressures as well. So that, you know, that plays into it, too. It's just not a, a matter of whether Brady wants to come to a player, a certain player in a situation. It's not necessarily that um, you're calling plays, but even if you call plays for certain guys, you know, if you don't get the protection, you're not going to be able to complete the route, especially Evans, who runs a lot of more down the field, longer developing routes. So there's a, a lot of national talk on this, by the way, a lot of national talk going on right now about you know, Evans and, you know, what, what I've been talking about for two weeks, really, is how is Antonio Brown going to fit in? And not just him as his large personality, but how will the coaching staff work him in? And how does that keep the coaching staff from uh, keeping it more simple and doing what they've been doing that has been working? Anytime you add extra ingredients, there's going to be issues, um, but you want them to be positive, And eventually they'll get to that with Antonio Brown. To think that it was going to be smooth sailing first time out was probably a little foolish, you know. Um, you know, maybe if the Bucks had to do it again, they would have kept uh, AB out for another week since Godwin was ready to play. 
I'm not, I'm not, look, I don't, I don't think it would have made a difference because you got beat up on both sides of the line of scrimmage, but I think it's, um, it's something that, you know, it was a choice that the coaching staff made and I don't think it was a positive one when you look at the results. So, um, let's listen in a little bit to Bruce Arians today. He uh, just got done with his media avail to, um, to the local media and of course, questions about Marpet and some of the other lingering questions about what the hell happened on Sunday night. Let's listen in. Yeah, Gronk just had a veteran day. Allie's in the final phases of the protocol. Uh, looks like we'll wait and see, evaluate, but it looks like he, got, he came out fine. Uh, wait to see if he gets any recurring headaches. And I know we're, we're, we're talked about how this would be an evolution on this offense, you know, throughout the year. Um, we're in week 10 now. You know, for a while, you were three tight ends, some a lot of running. You know, Ronald Jones had the 300-yard games. Now we see four wide receivers. I mean, do you have sort of an identity of what you want this offense to be yet? Yeah, very flexible. You know, we have the ability to have different plans each week with matchups we like. Obviously, um, we want to run the football more than we did the other night, but uh, the game dictated. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think – with the personnel we have healthy now, and uh, it gives us a lot of flexibility. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Next question will come from Greg Allman. Hey, Bruce, looking back on that first Panthers game in week two, uh, Anderson and Moore both went over 100 yards for Carolina. I just want to ask you, it seems like Carlton has still been able to play at a high level, uh, but Dean and Murphy Bunting have, have had some struggles in the last two weeks with coverage. I just want to ask you why you think there, there's been any regression there at all for them. Don't know if it's as much regression as they're getting targeted because they're not throwing at Carlton. <laughs> you know, uh, he's he's playing out with you know with all the interceptions and stuff. And, uh, and I think both of them sometimes they're still growing, but uh, I I don't think there's any cause for concern with those two guys. And you know, uh, Antoine, each one of them they keep going in their role. Bruce, that that first Carolina game was was probably the best. Uh, I would think for you the best execution of kind of the combination between Jones and Fournette in terms of Ronald getting it done early and then Leonard obviously having a great fourth quarter. What, what would you say is the, the key thing you guys need to do to get back to that if, if you're in a position to have a lead again on Sunday? Don't fall behind. You know, don't fall behind. That's the biggest thing. I, I think they both have had really good good roles. Um, you know, and I, I think Rojo's in a really good spot right now. I think Leonard's and Shady, I think we're, we're, we're solid there. And I think the one-two punch is really – Back in full force. Thanks, Coach. You bet. Play. Next Play question will come from Jenna Lane. Hey, Coach, I know you mentioned that um, in the past, you know, Mike Evans should be getting 10 targets a game. Um, and I was just wondering, from that game, from the tape that you saw, how much of that was him missing or being limited for about three weeks with, with the ankle, with practice time? And how much of that was just your quarterback um, not getting great protection and not being able to necessarily go through his progressions? I think you answered both questions. I think both both they're the answers to the question. What what can you guys do to get him more involved? Because I know you did move him around. He was in the slot. He was on the outside. But what other types of things can you do to get him involved and active early? Uh, just throw it to him. I mean, the the key the key is where the the quarterback reads it out, and uh, some guy might be up on this side, but the coverage tells him go to the other side. So it's just a matter of. Uh, We've got plenty of weapons, and um, throw to the guy that's open. Thanks, Coach. Next question will come from Scott Reynolds, and then we'll open it up to Carolina Media. That was interesting. 
Hey, Bruce, uh, you guys have given up over 100 yards rushing the last two games. Uh, are you fine that the teams are attacking you more with two and three tight ends uh, to, uh, you know, to, to take advantage of not having as, as much size as you did before with Vita Bay in the lineup? I think it's more to stay, keep us out of nickel because of, you know, the, the, in base defense, you only can do, do so much. Um, nickel is you can get pretty exotic with them. And, uh, so, yeah, I think the, the three tight ends is, uh, is something that tries to get you in base defense to throw the ball more than run it. I mean, Taysom Hill had, you know, we just didn't stop the power play. But, I mean, we stopped Kamara really well, but we didn't stop Taysom Hill. And, uh, you know, in the Giants, we gave up. We got out of our gap twice and uh, trying to do too much. But, yeah, I don't, I don't concern I'm not concerned with the running game right now. Um, I think we'll bounce back pretty good against a really good, talented backfield. And then when you look at the first quarter scoring, that was really a strength of your of your offense starting the season. You guys really jumped out on some teams. It's kind of mm-hmm. gone the opposite way now. Have you been able to pinpoint over the last couple of weeks why you guys haven't had that advantage in the first quarter like you did in, in the first, say, three or four games of the season? Third down conversions. You know, we're not we're not we're not maintaining possession of the football long enough. Uh, to start games right now. Thank you, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Next question will come from David Newton. Third hey, downs, Coach, I wonder what your impressions of uh, Panthers rookie Jeremy Chan are and how his position flexibility figures into your game planning. Yeah, it reminds me a ton of Dion Buchanan uh, playing the same basic position we had him playing in Arizona. And, uh, you know, having a, a hybrid player um, – creates problems because of the number counts and we got number 21 in there. He's a linebacker. Sometimes he's a safety. So you really have to be sharp with your identifications. And I want to ask you also, where do you stand on giving running backs big contracts and why? Uh, depends on who they are. If I had Chris McCaffrey, I'd give him all that good, <laughs> you know, but uh, each and every one of them is so different how much they're involved in your offense. How many times do they actually touch the ball? And when you, when you have a guy like Christian, who's a great receiver and a great runner, that's, that's a huge part of your offense normally. Next question will come from Joe Person. I kind of enjoy hearing these Carolina hey, folks Bruce, ask questions. Thanks uh, for having us on. Uh, wondered what you've seen out of the Joe Brady uh, scheme. How similar is it to what you see the Saints doing and just what do you think made it effective at this point? I think a lot of similarities. Uh, uh, you know, I think Teddy was able to adapt really quickly because he played in the offense, knew the terminology. Um, there was a familiarity. So uh, getting the rest of the guys up to speed, which they've looks like they've done pretty quickly because they're playing really, really well on offense right now. And then also just wondered when you saw the tape or, or with, with the Panthers after McCaffrey went out, how different was the scheme Brady was running as to opposed to when you saw them and we – well, I think you know, a little more power running because Davis is such a powerful runner, but uh, he's also still a really good receiver. I think a lot of the same concepts. Uh, Samuel's doing a little bit more. Um, you know, back, he's in the backfield as you're running, he's catching. So they got dynamic players at the skill positions, and uh, and I think Joe's doing a heck of a job with them. That's uh, Bruce Arians, uh, press media available today uh, with the local media here in Carolina as well. Interesting to get a perspective from them, but uh, what they want to hear from Bruce Arians. And by the way, when you turn on the tape, and I was watching a little bit of the Chiefs-Panthers game last night, uh, this this Carolina offense has speed everywhere. I mean, Robbie Anderson's a 4-3 guy. Curtis Samuel's a 4-2-9 guy. 
um, they've got speed, and you know the Bucks struggle sometimes with with straight line speed. So we'll you know it's good. This is going to be a, a test again of the of the man to man abilities of Jamel Dean. And, and look, Carlton Davis and Jamel can run. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but so can these guys. And Bridgewater's very very accurate. That's why the you know the Panthers have been scoring points. They got uh, with McCaffrey back. I mean, you've got three guys right there that are explosive. I mean, a big time explosive. So, you know, expect the Bucks to give up some points if they get back to, you know, that pressure defense and playing a lot of man-to-man. You're going to get burned once or twice, but what you're also going to do is, is get some turnovers and get Teddy Bridgewater, who doesn't turn it over much, but get him pressured. He'll take sacks, and that'll certainly keep drives from, uh, from going. Well, I think you guys dodged right. a bullet because McCaffrey's out this weekend. That's right. Uh, McCaffrey's out. He's got the shoulder injury. But, again, Mike Davis, his replacement, has yes. been really good. Yes. <laughs> that, kid, that kid runs hard. So um, we shall see. All right, um, we'll take a little break. When we come back, I want to play a little audio from Get Up this morning. Uh, Dominique Foxworth talking about the Bruce Arians-Tom Brady dynamic and a lot of people freaking out about uh, Arians criticizing Brady. We talked about this yesterday, but we'll get his perspective. We'll also hear from Chris Godwin as well. All right, quick break, three-minute break. We'll be back here uh, more from the Bucks and talk some more Bucks when we come back. Stay with us. That's enough. Let's get back to the show. Now, more sports with JP. All right, welcome back. And uh, it's interesting, during the break, I'm watching Bay News 9, um, the coverage, and been watching it all morning long as the as Tropical Storm Ada moves through. Um, all the schools have dismissed early today, and they just announced Hillsborough schools are going to be out tomorrow and Friday. Which are going to be beautiful days. Um, so depending on what the damage is, this thing's going to be out of here by tonight. And it's funny, they yesterday when I tuned in, it was like, oh, this thing's going to hang out in Cuba for a while. You get up this morning, it's like, oh, my God. It's like I'm right on our doorstep. <laughs> it took a rapid, rapid turn to the north. And, um, you know, the usual uncut and unfiltered more sports now with jp peterson presented by fan stream sports download the app today all right welcome back hey don't forget we're going to be down at the oak and stone on clark road again down in sarasota on friday uh for a little happy hour action so come down to join us if you're in that area we'd love to have you uh from three to six we're doing our our gear for beer promotion one more time at the oak and stone well, actually, a few more times. Uh, Saturday and Sunday for the college games or the NFL games, they got the Sunday ticket. You wear your gear, you'll get $5 off the amazing beer wall. Uh, and, of course, don't forget their great food as well, the artisan pizza, the mac and cheese, the wings. Uh, it's tremendous. So we'll be down there. Again, uh, Sarasota Clark Road location of Oak and Stone. Great, great restaurant. They have one in downtown St. Pete as well. Great place to watch games, indoor, outdoor feel. Beautiful. All right, we want to welcome in uh, John Ledger, writes for the Pewter Reports, and uh, penned a great article, I thought, on the Bucks briefing feature of their website. Was Mike Evans really open? It's the mystery that everybody wants to know. John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, JP. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, great article. Thanks for breaking down the Zabruder film here and uh, showing the <laughs> the X's and O's of what goes on. Um, I, I, I personally love watching tape, and it really gives you so many insights into what's going on in a game on, on so many levels. Um, and I'm sure you, you know, judging from how well versed you are in, in looking at tape, 
uh, it gets a little, uh, I think, maddening sometimes when narratives get out there that are really completely untrue. And I think you broke this down pretty well as far as Mike Evans goes. Give me, give me your take. Yeah, there's just so many layers of things. You know, it's one of the problems with social media is that people, and I get it to a degree, you know, they want to simplify things. You know, this happened. You know, this guy has this amount of yards. It's this guy's fault. You know, and it's just easier for people to understand, you know, putting a, a, putting a name to something uh, to apply blame when there's really, like, lots of factors. You know, there's immediate, you know, there's only, we're only talking about 14 snaps before they were down 28 nothing, and two of those are Ronald Jones runs, and two of them are yeah. designed screens for Ronald Jones. So we're talking about a 10-snap sample size from the other day. And obviously we're talking about a bigger picture with Evans not producing. But remember, he's hurt. There's like 15 good players in this offense. You know, they only <laughs> have so many plays to be able to work with. In a game like this, Brady's under pressure a ton, uh, and it makes it really difficult. And then there's the coaching aspect of it. The reality is at the beginning of the game, Mike Evans really wasn't open. And then they adjusted and put him in the slot some, and pressure and a few other things prevented Brady from really being able to find him. He's not always the first read on a lot of these throws. I think that's okay, by the way. You know, everybody's like, why isn't Evans always the first read? Because the reality of getting Mike Evans the ball is not the same as getting Antonio Brown in his prime with the Steelers. You know, just use him as an example, even though he's on the team now. It's not the same as getting him the ball. It's not the same as getting a lot of receivers in the NFL the ball. Mike Evans, if you look at his, his, where his catches have come throughout his entire career, they have largely been down the field. And when the Bucks were, when Mike Evans was a volume receiver and the Bucks tried to run their offense through Mike Evans as a vertical receiver, their offense was really hit or miss. They would hit big plays or they wouldn't do anything yeah. at all. And so then when Chris Godwin evolved last year, things started to change. Bruce Arians came in and he said, we're going to run more through Chris Godwin. Now they threw a bunch of picks and they got down in games, so they still aired it out. And Jameis is who he is and Arians is who he is. You get down seven points, Arians wants to air it out and throw it all over the yard. So, they still did take those shots, so Evans still did produce. But if you look at the catch percentage for Mike Evans over his entire career, it's low. It's one of the lower marks in the NFL. No. You take all pass catchers in the NFL, he's 140 to 180 in that range. That's where his catch percentage falls. So it's just not a high-efficiency offense to use Mike Evans as a volume receiver unless you're going to change the way you use him, unless you're going to get him shorter touches and quicker touches in the passing game, which really isn't his skill set. So he's at his yeah. best in smaller doses but being really efficient in those small doses. All right. That said, John, how do you think the presence of Antonio Brown affected uh, the game planning, number one, and the execution of the game plan? Yeah, I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it affected the execution of the game plan very much. The only play where it was really an issue, we talked to Kevin Garver, the wide receivers coach today for the Bucks, and he said on that interception, I know this flies in the face a little bit of what Arian said earlier in the week, but if we listen to Arians long enough, that isn't a big surprise. But Garver said on the interception that Antonio Brown probably should have kept running uh, on that look, but it's just one of those things where you know, you're trying to be on the same page. You happen not to be on a play like that that they've got to get ironed out. And that was really the only thing. I mean, it wasn't certainly wasn't, you know, Mike Evans had tied for the most targets uh, with Gronkowski and I think uh, Leonard Fournette. Uh, in that game, so it wasn't a matter of like you know they were they weren't like looking to get the ball to Antonio Brown a ton. Um, Brown looked great, uh, moved really well, physically looked good, tons of suddenness. I actually covered the Steelers for for years, and so I'm, I've covered Antonio yeah. Brown uh, longer than anybody uh, else on the on, that's on this Bucks team, and so I, I kind of look at Antonio Brown and I see the same guy really from those years, and he didn't look any different on tape, you know. So that's a really good sign moving forward. I think it just takes time, like to integrate all these pieces into an offense. Yeah. Just takes time, and, and it's honestly, if, if we're being honest, 
it might not happen this year to the degree that it could happen um, next year, you know, if everybody's back and, and all those pieces are clicking. So just something to think about as Bucks fans are watching the game. Uh, John Ledger joining us here from Pewter Report. i got to check out his article, uh, Was Mike Evans Really Open? It's a great article, and it takes you through the tape and shows exactly what happened. Um, you know, you mentioned Antonio Brown, and Bruce Gradkowski was on with us on Monday who actually played with A.B., uh, quarterback, to, and threw it to him. And he brought up a great point. He said, you know, the Bucks looked like they were trying to get A.B. deep down the field, throw longer routes to him. And he said his his really his skill set is getting the ball quickly off the line of scrimmage, quick slants, quick outs, uh, tunnel screens, and let him do what he does with the ball in his hands. And I thought that was a great point. As I as I think back, I mean, I didn't cover him like you did, but so I'm asking you this question. Not that he can't go downfield and do those things, but um, shouldn't the Bucks be starting instead of running deep option routes where well, that takes a lot of chemistry, and you can see what happens if you're not on the same page. Um, do those those shorter routes to get him the ball. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a good point by Bruce, but it, it's actually a larger point than I think even what Bruce is trying to bring up there. You know, uh, Bruce Karkowski talking about, you know, when, when, when he's saying that, I think he's thinking specifically about Antonio Brown, but really it's the point that needs to be made about the entire box offense, right? I mean, how yes, often do we see yes. slants in this offense? You know, we don't see a lot of short route combinations helping each other out in this offense. And one of my big criticisms from the game plan was, the Bucks got down early in that game, and all they ran were vertical routes. You know, Brady yeah. is in the pocket trying to hold the ball against bad pressure or against significant pressure, and his route combinations that he has to work with are developing 15, 20 yards down the field. And the only outlet he has is Leonard Fournette, who hasn't broken a tackle all season and as a receiver. I know. So it, it becomes this really difficult thing. Everybody's kind of looking, why is Brady holding the ball, or, or you know, why is Brady just checking down? It's because the Saints, it's easy for them, right? They're sitting in in in, in deep zone coverage and quarters coverage, and they're dropping their their first line of defense back a little bit further than they normally would, and they're not worried about anything. They're just trying to take away the big play. And Arians is playing right into their hand by sending all his receivers vertically. So it's it's the aggressive approach of Arians that works when the score is kind of in their in their command. But people kind of think of oh the Bucks they throw the ball deep and they do and they can come back and but it's a lot harder when you're playing down and you're the Bucks and you're having to come back and you're using almost all deep routes, it's easier for a defense to take away what you're doing. Instead, they need a lot more quicker-hitting combinations, more rub routes off the line of scrimmage to free guys up. That's where Antonio Brown thrived. Now, I will say this. Antonio Brown got open deep the other night, too, and he can do that. That that is a part of his game that can work. But you have to use the short ball to set up the long one in these situations. Completely agree. Uh, John Letter joining us here from the Pewter Report. Also covered AB um, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and and to this this point, um, we we look. We know that Arians, and you know this. Um, he is Arians has told me there's a lot more that AB did in Pittsburgh that people don't know, and he was dead set against bringing AB in here. We all know that. We heard it publicly. Many of us heard it privately, and all of a sudden they're signing AB, and you know of course Arians said Tom Brady had nothing to do with it, but I think we all know better. How so? How much you know? How much of this is you know Brady saying, "Look, I want this to work," um, and how does that get into the way of what Bruce Arians is doing? And if you're a head coach, and you're going to compromise your principles in this way, what does that say about um, the chemistry of this team? I'm bringing up all these things. I'm not alleging anything. I'm just saying, from your point, uh, your point of view, how do you think all this works, and can it be a positive for this team? Um, you know, I think the, the risk with Antonio Brown comes 
you know, on and off the field. And that's why it's, you know, if it were just off the field, I would have moral, you know, reasons to maybe stand against it. But it would be harder to argue team chemistry and locker room chemistry and all of those kinds of things. But because Antonio Brown's been such a divisive force in all aspects of his life, basically, over the last couple of years, it's, it was a little bit harder to see why it was worth it, especially because Tyler Johnson's playing so well and Scotty Miller's. I mean, Scotty Miller's snaps got absolutely obliterated from the other night. I mean, I personally don't get it because Scotty Miller's been a great player for them this season. I mean, yeah. leading them receiving yards. How, how often do you see the leading receiver, player leading the team in receiving yards get his snap slashed significantly but in midseason? It just doesn't happen very often. And so, you know, and it's I a bad that's, idea. That's why it doesn't yeah. happen very often. <laughs> right, exactly. So, and now, granted, Antonio Brown's a great player, and he's a very talented player, and he obviously he's a better player than Scotty Miller. But that's not the only thing you have to look at. You have to look at chemistry. You have to look at fit in the offense. You have to look at what Scotty Miller does and as a vertical threat, and is that more important than having somebody like Antonio Brown on the field where you mentioned his best role in usage? If the team's not going to use him that way, is it a better fit to have Scotty Miller on the field. Sometimes it isn't just a one-to-one player comparison. And then you obviously talk about the risks off the field and stuff. So ultimately, I think Antonio Brown will be fine with the Bucks. I think he knows this is literally his last chance. If he screws this up and gets cut, I mean, he's gone. He's never playing again. There's no doubt about that in my mind. So, you know, I think that he feels like this is his last chance and he's got to make the most of it. So I think he'll be fine. I don't foresee any issues with him no, per se I don't think he's gonna like demand the ball he's coming in midseason like he, he gets I think he gets it to that degree at least or at least I hope so and so I think the bigger question is or can this offense be everything that it's supposed to be with how little time everybody's had together we mentioned Antonio Brown but just think about Chris Godwin and Mike Evans I mean Chris Godwin's missed half the games this season Mike Evans has barely practiced a lot of the season chemistry matters a lot especially in an offense like this now it's a great point you make, and it's almost like you know bringing in Antonio Brown is it, it, on the surface it seems great, but when you start talking about what it takes to get a guy ready to play in this offense, I mean Brady was just getting used to Evans and and Godwin and just getting in Scotty Miller, um, he was just mm-hmm. getting comfortable in this offense, and then you. You know, my analogy the other day was it's, it's like making a great spaghetti sauce when you get it just perfect, and now you're bringing in a really pungent and strong spice like a coriander or a cilantro. you got to be very careful how you put that in your sauce, or you're going to mess it up. And you're probably right. going to have to add a other, bunch of other ingredients just to get it right. And I think it's a pretty good analogy, and it takes time. And, you know, it seemed like the Bucks had got their offense to the point where it was rolling, and now you bring this in, more transition time. Right, and then that's one of the struggles, I think, right, is just that they need to be able to iron things out quickly because the toughest part of their schedule is coming up. And I don't think Antonio Brown, even if the, the, the connection you know, struggles or whatever, like I don't think that should be enough or should be an excuse that derails the Bucks' offense. There's too much talent here. They, you know, they haven't had a ton of time, but they've clearly had enough time to be able to produce at a high level. To me, the thing that really needs to change, you know, I think, and be tweaked moving forward, is the play design, and I'm not sure how much that happens, you know, early in the season. The, the the thing about Arians that's been true, kind of year after year, is that with him is that yes, there are games where his offense goes off and looks great in their drives, but consistency is hard to come by because his offense relies a lot on lower degree or l- lower percentage throws, yeah. and that makes it tough. So Brady being able to and willing to get the ball out of his hands rather than force throws into windows down the field or to hold on to the ball when nothing's open down the field because it's a little bit predictable, the routes, that keeps them 
because he hasn't thrown interceptions into tight windows and he hasn't taken sacks, that's allowed them to kind of stay alive in games where in the past they would just fall, you know, the offense wasn't just a three and out, which, you know, it was an interception or it was a sack or it was a huge drastic change in field position. So Brady's kept them away from the negatives that all Arians quarterbacks have basically had. I mean, Carson Palmer, Ben Roethlisberger, when he was early in his career, I mean, all those quarterbacks have had big passing numbers, Jameis Winston, but also lots of interceptions, lots of sacks. Brady's really stayed away from those things. He's done it by, but, but because he does it, sometimes they'll go three and out. Sometimes he'll check down to guys to running backs that have not proven to be effective receivers this year. If they had one, that would be great, but they don't. And so that's yep. kind of the weakness of the offense right now. If they can establish more of a short passing game and a little bit more man beaters in their offensive scheme as a, from a receiving standpoint, I think they're going to have great success, but I don't know how much, how realistic it is to expect that to happen on the fly. Yeah, well, that's what I was hoping that Brady would bring to the offense. His part of the collaboration would to bring those rub routes and those, you know, those quick hitters. Um, and we saw, I think we saw a little bit of that earlier in the season, but last mm-hmm. week it just seemed to completely go away from it. I remember there was like a third and four, and at the end of the route, I think Brady got sacked. But at the end of the route, I look up and there's four receivers downfield, none of them within 15 yeah. yards of the line of scrimmage. I mean, right. it's yeah. just yeah. everything that, was the deep. There was nothing lower on a third and four. Right. That's the Arians' so, impatience factor. You know, Arians yeah. gets down, and he doesn't have a first down, and he gets impatient, and he wants 21 points in one play, and it just isn't going to happen. And Brady knows it's not going to happen. And so that's where you have – but, you know, just don't get down 21. Yeah, I think, that, again, we're talking about an offensive scheme in a game where the defense was absolutely pitiful. And exactly. I mean, couldn't get a stop save their life. So if you're in that spot as an offense, most times you're, gonna, you're not going to be that successful. They were peak – peak unsuccessful but most of the time you're not going to be very successful in the situation their defense put them in all right i know i gotta let you go because you got your show coming up so i appreciate your time john i got a little carried away i love talking football to people who know what uh know what they're seeing so appreciate your time and we'll check you out on twitter at ledyard nfl draft thanks partner appreciate it awesome thanks jp appreciate you Okay. Um, yeah, Pewter Report, love that website. If you're a Bucks fan, you got to go to it. And John really has brought a, a really nice X's and O's uh, feeling to a lot of the, the coverage. They've always had that, but um, he does a great job. So check out his stuff at Pewter Report. All right, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, i got to talk about, as I do every Veterans Day, about the story of Pat Tillman. Um, it's one of the great American stories. It's also one of the most tragic stories in American history, and it obviously has a sports and military connection. We'll do that when we come back. Pure sports. Let's go! Come on! Come on! Let's do it! Now more with JP. Turn your radio up. All right, welcome back. Yeah, you heard the BlackRock brunch advertisement that we're running now. Yeah, for Sunday brunch, 11 to 2. Um, and you can watch the football games while you're there as well. They're running the brunch, and it's $18.99. You get your entree, which is the fabulous omelets that they make there, and the waffles are tremendous. They have quiche. So you get your entree and the bottomless Bloody Marys or mimosas for $18.99. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, my goodness. Wonderful. So check that out. Um, all right, seven two seven five one eight eight twenty on this Veterans Day, where we want to thank all of our service men and women for their great sacrifice, um, and obviously makes us uh, be able to do what we do here. And we should never, ever, ever forget it. 
Um, it's amazing what these folks do for the money that, that they're paid. But each and every Veterans Day, I try to talk about the story of Pat Tillman, which to me is was one of the most impactful stories that um, I think has ever come down the pike, to be quite honest, on so many levels, on a socioeconomic level, on a, a patriotic level, on a question-your-government level. And it's kind of a perfect storm of a lot of different things. And, you know, Pat Tillman was a, was a great football player, played for Arizona State, and then was drafted by the Cardinals. Um, and he was a very, very good safety, a hard-hitting guy. I mean, he is the epitome of, uh, of what you'd, you'd want a son to be. And he came from a, from a military family um, that had, had sacrificed a lot in their lives. And he signed the $3.6 million contract with the Arizona Cardinals right before 9-11. And when 9-11 hit, he felt a patriotic duty um, in some very emotional interviews that I saw that, that he wanted to enlist and defend his country because so many in his family had done so and had sacrificed. And he felt like it was betraying his country and his family to be playing football when he was what he thought was needed on the battlefield. And not to make, you know, this is a very, very long story. And I, I invite you to read the book that his mother wrote. Um, Mary, his mother Mary wrote uh, called Boots on the Ground by Dusk. It is a very emotional tale and it, it really tells you exactly what you need to know. Um, I interviewed her a couple of times on my previous radio shows and it's incredibly impactful. Just how, how amazing this young man was, his courage, his bravery, his loyalty, his patriotism, all of that, it just off the charts. And obviously, when you know, once he enlisted and became you know part of a frontline unit where he wanted to fight in um, in these godforsaken hills of Afghanistan, and he wanted to be there and do his duty. Well, to make a very long story short, um, you know, he obviously became a very um, you know that was the image that the United States Army wanted to put forth. It's, it was great for recruiting. It was great for recruiting, and it was a great image of a young patriot sacrificing for his co- for his country. That's what all governments want, and uh, and when they get something like this, it's as high profile. They're going to use it to their advantage. I get it, but what's really really sad is that you know the way Pat Tillman died was horrific. You know he died from friendly fire, and I won't get into all the particulars of what actually happened on that fateful day. But you know there are some who think that you know Pat Tillman. There were people that were jealous within his unit, and there were things that and, and things that he wanted to say that he wasn't saying, that wanted to get out. Um, it's 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 a very controversial thing, and I'd rather you read the book from his mom's words because the way his family was treated by the media, and by, I'm not not the me well the media too, but also by the United States Army um, is criminal, and somebody should have gone to jail for it, quite frankly, because. When Pat Tillman was killed, everybody in the battlefield knew what had happened, that he was killed by friendly fire. And that was not the narrative that the U.S. Army put out. It was quite the different. It was the, you know, the patriotic. And, and, and I understand this. In some ways, you want the, the families to be proud. You want the Americans to be proud. But, you know, we also want the truth. We want the truth of what, you know, war is hell. And we didn't get the truth from the United States Army. They covered it up for many, many, many years that he was killed by friendly fire in a very, very disturbing and controversial way. And again, read the book. Um, and it teaches us a lot of lessons. Yes, patriotism is wonderful. Blind patriotism can get you killed. And it also teaches you don't believe 
uh, everything you hear on TV and radio and in the media. Question your government. Question them. And everything they're telling you is true. They have ulterior motives. And the truth is always going to set you free. But rest in peace, Pat Tillman, one of the greatest Americans of all time. Coming back at you. Let's get back to the show. It's only just begun. More with J.P. Peterson. Powered by FanStream Sports on the Big 8. All right, welcome back to the 4 o'clock hour here the J.P. Peterson Show. We thank you so much for joining us uh, here today. I am uh, doing the show from my beautiful kitchen here in downtown Tampa uh, with the view of downtown. And Tally the Wonder Dog absolutely passed out on the couch. It's a beautiful thing. She must have too much chicken. (laughs) Chicken. So this is what you do all day? Oh, I mentioned chicken. She popped her head out. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, hilarious. All right. If you'd like to join the show, 727-518-0820 is the number. 727-518-0820. No, you're not getting any chicken. (laughs) (laughs) The ears pop right up every time you say it. I'm not I'm not doing it. No, don't get don't even come over here. I got a show to do. Um yeah, James Petralka coming up at 4.15. We'll uh, chat with him. It's, uh, he uh, joins us from Fox Sports. We're going to talk a little bit about the Masters. Uh, Gary Koch joined us yesterday from uh, Golf Channel, and we're going to replay a little bit of that interview, uh, talking about Bryson DeChambeau and Tiger Woods and the changes that have gone on at, uh, at Augusta this week. And I cannot wait. Tea time tomorrow. Tiger Woods goes off number 10. I believe it's 7.44 in the morning. So you know what I'm going to be doing while uh, this rain is coming down. Although I think it's going to clear out by tomorrow. I'm watching the uh, Bay News 9 right now as as uh, Tropical Storm Ada comes through. Uh, here in downtown Tampa, it's very, very light. Uh, wind, actually, winds are picking up a little bit, it appears. Uh, not a whole lot of rain. No flooding here where I am. So I, I saw some of the pictures, though, on Bay News 9 of the um, the coast. And, man, it is getting slammed. I mean, the waves are – I mean, it is – it is rough out there. Do not be boating today, people, or tomorrow. It's going to get kind of rough. But I think it's going to clear out pretty pretty quickly, and uh, I think we're going to have a nice weekend. So once again, we get hit by uh, by quote, hurricane, and um, we've, we've – I'm not saying we were duped by – this time, this thing just came out of nowhere. I mean, normally the media is scaring us with fear, you know, fear porn five days out. This one was like – uh, it's going to hang out in the Gulf for a while. Wake up this morning, it's right on our doorstep. So you never know. Even with all this technology, they never know. They just don't know. All right. Um, we did not talk about this in the first segment. Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, named manager of the year. Probably should have won it last year, but wins it this year in the in the COVID era. I don't think um, there was any really choice. I mean, he did a phenomenal job. Best record in the American League on the third lowest payroll in all of baseball. And just continues to reinvent ways to um, to be successful at this game that is very difficult when you don't have the payroll and the superstars that other teams have. Um, so it's the absolute definition of a manager, getting the best out of the talent that you have. And who's done it better than Kevin Cash over the last few years? Nobody. And it's not even close. And then you throw into it uh, all the COVID restrictions this year and um, you know, almost actually, I would say that almost played into the hands of the Rays because they're always used to using multiple players, multiple pitchers, uh, different combinations. And that's something that a lot of managers had to do for the first time this year with playing, you know, lots of double headers and lots of challenges with the COVID protocols, never knowing really who you're going to have 
uh, in your lineup and, and what they can give you. And nobody did it better than, than Kevin Cash this year. Nobody. And very well deserved to get the uh, Baseball Writers Manager of the Year award. And the Rays have now won, what, Madden won two of them, I think, as a, as a Ray. And now Kevin Cash. So pretty damn good. Especially uh, given the first few years when Cash was learning how to manage in the um, in the Rays organization, which is not not easy. It's a challenge. Let's listen in on a couple of uh, sound clips from Kevin Cash um, as he talked about dealing with some of the pressures and the hardships of uh, the COVID spring training 2.0. I was nervous, excited. We had a uh, Ella, our, our middle middle child had a soccer game so we rushed home i actually put on a collared shirt i still have it on i'm ready to go back and put my t-shirt on again uh but we had to keep we had to keep the dogs quiet and it's been uh, oh there's been a lot of those moments there, there certainly has been uh a lot and I, I and i talking to mark the other day um I don't think – I wasn't overly confident that we were going to get this thing up and running in spring training 2.0. I don't know of anybody that was. Um, so there's been a lot of head scratching, a lot of moments that, that it, it was really, really special and really impressive what this organization and our team accomplished this year. Uh, Sorry, and we hopefully can't – I can't time hear the actual sound bite, so we're just going by, by feel here. Um, hopefully Kevin was done. Did I step on him, Johnny? All right, um, but you're fine. So, um, another question to Kevin Cash, uh, asking him about um, what it's like to work in this organization and uh, with the front office and the players and having to deal with a lot of things that other managers do not have to deal with. It's a, it's a really special group. It's a special place to work, uh, led by Stu, Matt, Eric. Brian, everybody involved, uh, and I, I think it's our job as staff to, to do everything we can to what, what, what has been afforded to us as employees to, to do that in, with the players, and hopefully we continue to do that as much as possible because it certainly is a tremendous place to work. Uh, Kevin Cash again there as he accepted the um, Manager of the Year award, and, you know, it, it is – I would think, you know, for Kevin Cash, it's, you know, he's worked in a lot of different organizations, played for a lot of different organizations, and they're really on the cutting edge of, of doing things that everybody in Major League Baseball wants to find out what the hell are the Rays doing? How are they doing this? And they've had a lot of brain drain over the last couple of years, leaving uh, guys leaving like Heim Bloom and, and other people in front office for other high profile jobs. And, what the Rays are doing is changing baseball, and it has for or quite some time. All right, let's listen to one more from, um, from Kevin Cash about the uh, the run the Rays made to the World Series. Well, I, I think the injuries were, were up there, especially at the onset. Um, we, we all dealt with protocols, and you, you, we can't talk about those enough, but I know that answer has gotten old. Um, the, the injuries, for sure. Um, you know, the, the, the situation with uh, New York there, right in the thick of things, uh, that was challenging. You, you, you care so much about your, your players and, and, and you want to do right by them. And there was a lot of discussion about that. But if I had to pick one, it would be the injuries. Here's some of the, um, the reactions from the players uh, from the Tampa Bay Times about their manager. Kevin Kiermaier said, quote, letting guys be themselves. 
just asks and expects that you turn it on. You come every night at 7 o'clock. Not many rules either, which guys love. We just ask that guys don't cross that line and abuse what we have going on. It's a fun environment to be part of. Uh, Charlie Morton uh, said, quote, as the Rays manager, he makes a lot of moves, a lot of in-game tinkering, but he never makes it personal, and he never makes it about himself when it works. He's a player's manager. That's a very interesting perspective right there from a very thoughtful man and Charlie Morton who's been managed by dozens of different uh, different managers. So um, he continues, and he did a heck of a job with us as it related to COVID-19 and protocols, keeping guys loose even after that rough start. And the whole year, the entire league was adjusting to a lot of everything. A very hard year to get through, even though it was shortened. I'm glad we were there together. And Cashy helped us get to the World Series, best team in the AL. Every other AL manager that had made the wrong decisions during the regular and postseason were wishing they made a few more right calls during the year so they could have been where Cashy was the night when he took Blake out, regardless of how it worked out. Yeah, and, and you know, for so many, this is going to be, I think, nationally, the narrative will always be, that's how they remember Kevin Cash. Hell, 95% of the people, including baseball fans around uh, America didn't even know Kevin Cash was the manager of the race. I assure you of that. Uh, and now the only thing he's famous for is being the dumbest guy on the planet taking out Blake Snell. And I just think that is so completely unfair. And even today, you know, memes about, oh, Kevin Cash is the manager of the year. Oh, you know, um, people just don't know. They don't realize how good of a manager he is and what he did all year long. And we said this when he made that decision. Um, Kevin Cash was a huge reason why the, the Rays even got to a six game of a World Series. So you can fixate on the Blake Snell thing all you want, but it's it's far from the narrative that people should be talking about when it comes to the Rays and Kevin Cash. It's kind of like it's kind of why I wish we ha- would have done some type of celebration for the Rays because I feel like the last the last taste we have in our mouth of the Rays was that bad decision. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say there was a good decision, but I, as I said back then, I'll say it again. It was a lot harder decision than many of you think. Um, there was a lot more that goes into it. And did he overthink it? Yeah, probably did. Did the organization overthink it? Yeah, they probably did. But that, you know, when I say it was an organizational decision, it's just the way they run their organization. They're going to use a lot of analytics and they'll, they'll lean on some analytics and ignore others. You know, that's, that's just part of baseball. And I think if, you know, if Cash had to do it over again, I think he, he says that he would have done the same thing, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think he certainly learned a lesson from that, and he's still a very, very young manager, one of the youngest in, in baseball. And I think the next time that situation comes up, he'll have, he'll have more to go on. He may do the same thing. He may do something different. Who knows? But at least – what's that? Okay. We, um, you know, at least he has that to fall back on. Chris, what do you think? Oh, Go right ahead. Yeah, JP, I just want to echo that. I mean, uh, I think we, we underestimate him. I don't think he's really admired like he should be in this market. I think he gets overlooked a lot. But he is something that he, I think he's a, he's a gem in our community. And the job he does on and off the field is overlooked, I think, sometimes. And I, I just hope to God that we, he doesn't get where he gets disgusted and wants to leave this organization. Because he is the right man for this job. You agree? Oh, hundred percent. You know, and and like, mm-hmm. and let's hope let's hope the organization honors that as well. well I mean, I Joe Madden didn't want to leave here. No, but, he, but because of economics, he said he could see the future. He saw the writing on the wall. That's why he yeah. left. You know that. 
Well, and, and, and well, he would have stayed had they made a credible offer. And, and it wasn't even like the, the not only did the stayed? Rays not make a credible you, offer to Joe Madden, they pretty much stayed? weren't very aggressive in trying to retain him. In other words, it was like, yeah, don't let the door hit you on the way out, which I think is just completely right. asinine. Well, well you way. know what? What's so funny is that you take A.J. Hinch in Detroit, now a quarterback in Boston. They're the, I mean, they get a slap on their wrist, basically one year suspension. They get a they get a high echelon job, both of them, you know. And what does that say about our, our state of baseball right now? I mean, I don't think Bowie Kuhn 40 years ago would have put these guys back in baseball. I think they would have had a Pete Rose band if they would have never got back into baseball. What's your feeling on that? Um, I, I think they've been forgiven way too easily. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I, you know, I don't want to. You know, I'm not a big fan of the cancel culture, as you know. And I know this is is way different than a lot of the ridiculous cancel culture. These guys did something very, very wrong, and they deserve to pay a price. And I don't think they've even paid a, a, a big enough price. I think they should be allowed to manage again. Absolutely, you know, one year later, hmm, it doesn't seem like a lot. Maya Copa doesn't work in this situation. Now what? The, the Tony La Russa thing, you think that's going to boil her away? He's got to resign? He can't take that job, can he? I don't know. I mean, look, it's Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, it's his decision I to make. I mean, I don't I don't see baseball, and I don't see Rob Manford meddling in to tell some owner what they can and cannot do in terms of hiring a guy. I mean, if I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, I think I would realize right now that this is probably a bad idea and I should reconsider it. Not just because of the DUI, but... Well, the video. Have you seen the video? I haven't seen the video. I heard the quotes, oh and the quotes were bad enough. Oh, my God. The video is... It's like the old George Jones video where they you get stuff for drunk driving. Don't you know who I am? Well, that doesn't carry any favor. You broke the law. No. And, it, no. and if you're arrested for DUI in February, and just... I'm, I'm sure the White Sox, maybe they weren't aware of this. I don't know. No, they you were. Know? They were. They knew they of it the day before they hired him, yes. They were made aware wow. of it the day before that they hired a, him. That's a wild moment then. Wow. Right. I don't know if they saw the video or heard, you know, or read the arrest report, which obviously they clearly should have before they pulled the trigger. So I don't think it even matters whether they saw it or not. They should have done their due diligence. It's it's embarrassing to the organization. I mean, you've got guys like uh, Marcus Stroman saying, "I'm not going to play for that guy." I'm, you know, it's it's a liability in terms of getting free agents. So I just don't see the upside. I mean, and and I like Tony Larusa. I always have. He's a local guy. He's done he does, he's done a ton. He, he's done a ton of stuff for for our community, um, but I, you know, frankly, if he was my if he was my dad, I'd say, Dad, do you really need to do this? Do you really need to come back in this uh -oh. this? What what is, what is so bad too, JP, is that he's also an attorney. You know that he's an attorney. Yes. Well, <laughs> let's. Who's who's more arrogant about the law than attorneys? <laughs> okay, but I mean, yeah. he, he should be real well with the law. The law, the law always always is the final answer. All right, but man, yeah. we love you. All right, but thanks, man. Appreciate it. No, not to not to uh, you know indict all lawyers, but <laughs> I don't think they really respect the law that much. They uh, they they pretty much know how to uh, to get around it and maneuver around it. Um, respect for the law. Not sure there's a, there's a whole lot there in my personal experience. Not to indict all lawyers. I want to not broad brushing here, but just in general, I guess I did just kind of broad brush that. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest, I've been scarred. Okay, I've been scarred. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, James Petralka will join us from the uh, from the booth, Fox Sports. Uh, we'll check in with him on what the NFL is going to do with the playoffs. Are they going to go sixteen teams, fourteen? What's going to happen? Stay with us. 
Let's go. Right now. Back to the show with JP. All right, welcome back. Thanks for checking in with the J.P. Peterson Show each and every day, 3 to 6. Don't forget, you can check us out on fanstreamsports.com. You can listen online any day. Our app, Fanstream Sports app, we stream it, and all of our interviews are podcasted, so you can listen to us anytime, anywhere. And call the show, 727-518-0820. All right, well, welcome in from Fox Sports, from the booth, our good friend James Petrowka. What's up, partner? How are you? I'm doing great, J.P. How are you? It's Masters Week, baby. Cannot wait. That's right. Cannot That's right. wait. Uh, One of my, probably my favorite sporting event. Oh, no. Have you ever been to Augusta? I have. Yeah. I was there in uh, 93, I think it was. Yeah. I was there in 93. Were you really? Yeah. Bernhard Longer, right? Yeah, Bernhard Long. Yeah, I was there yeah. Thursday and Friday. We were there, too. How about that? So, wow. That's crazy. Huh. Yeah. One of uh, 40,000 people there. There you go. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So we were talking, you and I were texting yesterday about the playoffs. Um, right. How do you think the NFL is going to handle this? I think inevitably we're going to have some games that just aren't played. I mean, as, as the flu season kicks up, more and more COVID um, issues are popping up for a lot of different teams. I think the NFL has done a great job handling it. But I, I sense that they're, we're probably going to lose some games. So what do you think the NFL is going to do? Yeah, I think it's like you said. They went to that, you know, if if, if the, the contingency plan with adding the extra playoffs, which would eliminate uh, the buys, all teams would play uh, that first week. And I think the thinking behind that is, say you're you're number one seed, and you know you would get a buy the first week. Well, what if your game, you know, gets canceled week seventeen or week sixteen? So then you're going three weeks without a game, without playing, which they felt would be too much of a competitive disadvantage. Um, and then, you know, with records and yeah, I, and it, it seems like, and I'm not sure the exact reason, but they are, they are, they would rather, the NFL would rather, you know, miss games than extend the season, the regular season another week and push everything back. And I think it might have something to do with the, the way the TV contracts are written, but I'm, I'm not positive yeah. about that. That's probably the case. I think you're probably reading that right. And, of course, you know, they would get an extra game for these uh, number one seeds, which were are the most interesting teams, probably the highest rated teams. Yeah. You would get an extra game for them to play, and that's mo' money, mo' money, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever makes the most money is probably what they'll <laughs> Shock. Shocking development, I know, for so many out there. How does that yeah. how does that work? Well, you know how it works. Right. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the game you did this week between two of the premier teams in the league, Seattle and Buffalo. What a wild game. Um, and I think for Bucks fans, we're more interested in, in what happened uh, to the loser. How, how good yeah. do you think Seattle is? Are the, are the Bucks a better team? Or is Seattle a, a championship contender with that crappy defense? What do you think? Well, I, I think... I still think Seattle is very good, and I still think they are a contender. Um, because one of the things is, you know, they they've been playing. You know, they, their defense obviously hasn't played well. They they played great against San Francisco the week before, but you know, as we've seen, San Francisco isn't all that good. Um, and I think a bit, you know, the week before they blitzed more than Pete Carroll's teams have ever blitzed in a game because he's not you know he's not big on blitzing. They didn't blitz as much this week and they're, they're you know their corners 
aren't very good. But the one thing I think that does, from a defensive standpoint, where I think they're still, you know, they could improve is, you know, Carlos Dunlap, who they traded for, that was Sunday was his first game that he's played for them. And he actually made a couple plays, and he had a sack and a couple pressures. Jamal Adams had missed time. You know, he came back Sunday. He hasn't played much. So, you know, getting those guys in the lineup, I think, will help them. Um, and I think, you know, that game kind of maybe was just more of an aberration, although the defense hasn't been playing well. But I, I think I think I see some signs where I think the defense could play better uh, moving forward. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Russell Wilson, although, you know, he – he played fairly well, although he struggled. You know, they got they got to him a lot, and they, they have injuries on their offensive line too. So, I think uh, a lot of that has to do with injuries, and I think that's going to be a big story for every team this season. Is you know guys out in and out of the lineups. I think that you know because we saw I think with the box obviously with Marpet, oh yeah, and you know Vita Vea being out. So I think that's going to be a really probably bigger than than most seasons. Is you know who's healthy and you know at, when you at the time. Yeah, tell me who's healthy in the playoffs, and I'll tell you who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly. it's that it, yeah, it's that big a deal right now. And um, yeah, yeah, and watching that Seattle game and watching watching um, Russ cook, so to speak. I mean, there's no doubt how good he is. But even I think even his immense talent is not enough to make up for all the deficiencies that Seattle has. I mean, right. without him, I mean, my goodness, how yeah, bad would that yeah, team yeah. be? Yeah, I mean, they hit, you know they have really good receivers with Lockett and Metcalf, who is you know just a freak. But yeah. you know, they're, and they're on like I think their fourth running back too. So that you know, so that's hurt them a little bit. But I, I still think they're good. You know, it, it's funny. Um, last week, you know, I had the Seahawks last week, and after the game, I was talking to Mark Slareth, and I said, you know, who are the two best or who are the the best teams that you've seen this year? And he said, you know, he said, I, he said Tampa Bay. Um, he said they were great. And he said in Seattle, uh, he said those are probably the two best teams that I've seen. Well, then obviously both of them get you know blown out Sunday. So it's yeah. the NFL. I mean, it's always been I think uh, in a lot of ways a week to week, and I think it's even more so this year, where you know because th- the teams are probably closer in talent overall than than I think people think. So, you know, one game here, you know, a couple plays here and there early in the game, and next thing you know, you know, you're playing, you're behind the eight ball, and it, everything just kind of snowballs. Yeah, I think that definitely happened uh, to the Bucks. They're not as bad, certainly, as that loss loss would indicate. But I am very interested to see how they bounce back this week. I think this is, you know, last week was probably their biggest game of, this, of the year in terms of, you know, seeding for the postseason and what have you. But hey, if, if no teams are getting buys, then it actually might be better off because then they'll they'll play a team from the N- NFC East. But you know, we'll, we'll see what happens later on down the line. But this game against Carolina becomes a fork in the road. You win it, and you're just right back on track, and people are believing in you again. You, right. And I mean, win it by you know having your offense be efficient, not the crap we saw, and your defense get back to what they've been doing and stopping the run. You know, get a win again. You're you're the more talented team here against the Panthers. Now they're playing well. I know they are. They got talent, but overall, the Bucks are a much more talented team. Go, go take care of your business and get back on track. And then they got the Rams and the Chiefs. So, if, and if they lose this game, then it's all all hell's going to break loose. You know, then it's going to be, you know, why do we bring in AB? It's messing up the chemistry, even though he hasn't done anything. Um, right. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's yeah, a huge no, game I, for them. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a big week. I actually thought this. This past Sunday was a really big game for them because oh, yeah. you know, having lost to the Saints and not wanting to fall too back, and I, you know, it's on one hand it's kind of easy to say I was just a bad game and things got out of hand early, but the other, you know, 
I think it's a little bit. If they hadn't played as badly as they did against the Giants, I don't think this Sunday, this past week, would have been as much of a concern. At least for me, you know, with, with back-to-back bad games, that makes you think that maybe, you know, maybe there are some issues. Um, maybe it's chemistry. Maybe it's just, you know, not necessarily some of it, you know, necessarily with the attitude they be, but just in general, you know, with missing practice time and injuries and things. So maybe there's just not quite, you know, um, they're not quite there. But, they, you know, again, they say you win, you beat Carolina, then everything, you know, everything's rosy again. So although, they're, you know, like you say, Carolina's a really good team, much better than I thought they would be. Um, they have some, skill, you know, good skill players on offense and their defense. You know, I think we, uh, you had mentioned this earlier in your show that, you know, they, this is, I think maybe the first time in history they drafted all defensive players. Yeah. And some of those guys are starting to play pretty well. So it's, it'll be, it definitely will be a test. Well, when you turn on the tape, and I was watching a little bit last night of their game against the Chiefs, you know, they are explosive. I mean, Curtis Samuel is, is like a 4 2 9 guy, right? And, and Robbie right. Anderson's a 4 3 guy. Uh, McCaffrey's not going to play this week, but Mike Davis, his backup, is is a damn good running back. They've got weapons, and and Bridgewater, you know, doesn't typically beat himself. He doesn't right. he doesn't turn the ball over, so uh, it's going to be a challenge for this Bucks Bucks defense. But offensively, the Bucks should have their way with with this with this Panthers defense, and they've got to come yeah. out with a good plan and execute the damn plan. Uh, I put right. as much on the coaching staff last week as as anything. I mean, the the line play was terrible, but their game plans on both sides of the ball were atrocious. Would you agree? So yeah, I was surprised, uh, you know, that it that it went the way it did. Now offensively, you know, the one thing I would say is when you fall behind, and I you see this all the time, and you know, I've talked to a lot of different you know people about it, and it's crazy. Teams will get down seven. They'll get down one or two scores, and all of a sudden they panic. And it's like we got to throw every down. We got to go in a two-minute drill to get back in the game. So I think that they probably got out of their game plan a little bit this past week uh, when they fell behind. Um, so, but yeah, it was they definitely you know was not not a good showing by from the players or the, uh, the coaching staff this past week. We're talking with uh, James Petrowka, Frock Sports from the booth. Um, all right, uh, moving forward this week, we haven't really talked about Buffalo. How good is this this Buffalo team? I mean, obviously, Josh Allen, you witnessed one of the best performances of his career and, and of this NFL season, what, 415, four, four touchdowns? Yeah. Uh, how good is Buffalo? I thought their defense was a little suspect, but they're getting some guys back. How good is this this Buffalo team? Buffalo could be pretty good. Um, the thing, you know, defensively, their secondary is actually really good. Um, you know, they got some good safeties. Their corners are pretty good. You know, Edmonds, their middle linebacker, has been, you know, he's been coming back from injury, and he probably played his best game this past Sunday. Um, so I think they, they, you know, they got after Russell Wilson. Um, I think they can be pretty good. And the thing is, you know, their offense, um, you know, they came out and, like, passed on every down. And um, the thing with Josh Allen is, you know, he, he can beat himself at times with bad decisions and, you know, throws picks. If he doesn't do that, then I think they could be as good as anybody. All right, partner. Uh, we'll check in with you next week. Who you got this week? Uh, Jacksonville and Green Bay. So it gets a head up to Lambeau. Uh, uh, so, yep. no, no fans up there. Good no luck fans. with uh, the yeah, no, no cheese heads, unfortunately. Season, yeah. All right, partner, appreciate yeah. it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, All right. up next, uh, Kurt Weiler will join us from the Tallahassee Democrat, a mass exodus from the Florida State football team today. Is that a bad sign or a good sign? No, we'll talk to Kurt when we come back. Stay with us.
All right, welcome back. As we uh, run through today's program, lots of Bucks talk. We'll get back to that at the top of the hour. But right now, a developing situation in Tallahassee as the Florida State football program has lost uh, some of their biggest names in the middle of the season. Uh, Tamari and Terry has left the program, um, doesn't want to play anymore. Marvin Wilson is hurt. Uh, James Blackman, their former starter, is entering into the transfer portal. And uh, Devontae Love-Taylor is going to be out the rest of the year with a leg injury as well, one of their young offensive linemen. To sort it all out, Kurt Weiler from the Tallahassee Democrat covers the Florida State Seminoles. What's up, Kurt? How are you, buddy? I'm doing okay, all things considered. After kind of a a wild news dump earlier today from Mike Norvell, it's uh, kind of settled back down a little bit for me. All right. Well, it makes sense of this. Uh, we're asking the question, is this a natural attrition of a program with a new coach, or is this uh, a, a bad sign of things to come that Norvell uh, isn't uh, isn't getting it done? What do you think? Um, I don't read much into this in particular as, quote, unquote, Norvell getting it done. I mean, you, breaking it down, you look at James Blackman, who wasn't the starter and didn't factor in to be the starter again anytime soon. This was just a move, I mean, a move he could have made years ago in terms yeah. of just, I mean, exploring his options elsewhere. And I know it was a tough decision for him because, I mean, he's a guy who who lives, sleeps, eats, breathes, all that Florida State. Like, he adores this school. So I'm sure it wasn't an easy thing for him to reach. And, and Norvell spoke very highly of of him and 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 did not so much, I would say, to Maury and Terry. He didn't kind of want to talk about that situation. I mean, if you mm. want to read between the lines, I think there was a little more anger there because – or frustration maybe is a better word than anger, but uh, because Terry has battled injuries this year and was a guy who was, yeah. they weren't even sure they were going to come back. He could have explored the NFL waters. I'm not sure what he would have, what his draft grade would have looked like last year. I'm not sure he's really helped it this year just because he's battled injuries and he's kind of had some very public issues. I know he got into like a, a screaming match on the sideline during the, during the uh, Miami game with one of the assistant coaches. So, uh, I mean, I don't read much of that because he's been hurt, and he finally came back, but he was clearly not 100%. This, to him, to me, feels like a move of him just realizing he needs to heal up. And the other two are, are injuries, but they're players who I think it's a testament to Mike Norvell. Marvin Wilson, who I think we all assume is gone, is sticking around and really being yeah. a part of this program the rest of the year, even while he can't play. And Devontae Love-Taylor is definitely a senior-type guy who could potentially use that extra year eligibility the uh, NCAA has has granted him to come back next year. These were not, I don't think, for the most part, big-picture moves or immediately troubling moves. I'd say the, the most immediate impact is you already looked at, is there another win on the schedule? And I would say the odds of that drop somewhat significantly today. In the short term, it hurt things, but things were already trending towards a youth movement. I think you nailed every one of those situations right there. At least I, I would agree with you on on each one, and and we, we can delve into them a little bit. I mean, for Blackman, this was a kind of a no brainer. He wasn't part of the future. Um, it, it's been a rough go for him, and I I just want FSU fans, and I think you can you can embellish on this a little bit to know that he's done all the right things, said all the right things, really sacrificed a lot for this program. He stuck around, and I think Noel fans. Uh, Hey, he wasn't the greatest quarterback. We all know that, but I think they owe him a little bit of a debt of gratitude. You know him better than you know than most. But what would you say on those on those lines? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. And I will say there are always going to be people who only talk about kind of the on the field. But I think the vast majority of the fan base today has shared kind of appreciation for him. Because I mean, you look at him; he's a guy who wasn't supposed to be an early contributor, 
who got thrown into the starting role his second game as a true freshman because of an injury to DeAndre Francois. He has, in four years, had three different head coaches and four different offensive coordinators. I'm not saying that I, I think that in a different situation, if Jimbo had stuck around or if, if Willie Taggart had kind of found more immediate success and more stability for him, that he would have developed more. He may just not be kind of what he could have been coming out of high school. But I think any quarterback kind of forced into that situation is not going to find success. I think you made the case yeah. just about any football player at this level thrust into that much turnover isn't going to find success. So I think it was a, a lose-lose situation. And he, I mean, he's always handled it extremely well of, of, I mean, just continuing to double down about wanting to stay here and continuing to ride it out, continuing to have kind of faith in the process. And I mean, Mike Gravel, to his credit today, I think called out some of the fans, said he was bothered by the fans who, who booed him yeah, as yeah. he left the game. After. And I think some even booed him as he was coming into the game. And that's the one especially where you're like, I mean, you probably shouldn't do either. You should probably look at the bigger picture. To me, I could see the case that those boos were more about just the state of things. But that, yes. I, I can also see how James Blackman, who feels I've done so much for this program, is going to feel well, let down by that. I thought they were booing the, the coach, to be quite honest. I mean, the decision to put him in there. Um, and that's not against James either. It just he's in, he's in one of those situations where you're not, you're not part of the future, and the future has to be started now. So um, it's, it's probably best for all, but I think your description of that was dead on. But I, 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 if I were him, I wouldn't take it to heart. That's more on the coaching staff and the situation. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Kurt. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Tamari and Terry, though. This is a situation where, you know, from some of the people I've talked to, some some boosters, I don't know whether they're in there, no or not. You know how that works sometimes, uh, Kurt. But, um, you know, people that are around the program say he was never really satisfied. And, and you know, he was he was a problem guy or just wasn't happy here uh, for whatever reason. Um, what, 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 what's your take on him? Is this part of, you know, maybe the Knowles are better off for, for him to move on and open it up for other players? Um. In the long term, possibly. In the short term, most definitely not, because I think you've seen yeah. kind of what the yeah. uh, what the depth has looked like behind him with the two games he missed, especially the Louisville game. They made some plays in the North Carolina game without him, but they really missed some opportunities on the against Louisville, and it, it cost them. It seemed like they missed him. I don't. Th- he hasn't really been. I wouldn't characterize him as a problem throughout his tenure. I know one one thing that went into both him and Marvin Wilson coming back when neither was a sure deal. He was, I would say, Terry had more to prove. Marvin coming back was a real surprise because Marvin was a, a well-regarded draft prospect. Right. Terry right. had some growth in his game he could make, but a main thing he talked about was belief in Norvell. And a thing he talked about was, I think the quote from talking to him back in August when, uh, when he was talking about not opting out, because that was definitely a conversation that some fans were having, was him saying, I came back because I wanted to be great. I wanted to help this team get back to where it was. So I'm sure for him to say that and then for the season to go the way it did, whether that's because of COVID, whether that's because of just deep-seated, like deep-rooted culture problems that are just going to take a while to work through, whether it's probably it, – the truth is somewhere in the middle, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I just I think that as the season went on the way it did and it became clear, oh, this isn't going to get any better this year. I came back to be a part of something like the turnaround and no, that's not going to happen at all. I could see why his – frustration might grow and he might act out in some of the ways he did and I, I don't think it speaks to him I mean he he talked today in his statement on Twitter about his heart broken that he couldn't kind of finish the year out and and be a part of kind of 
a step forward for Florida State, but he has dealt with some injuries, and he came back against Pittsburgh, but he didn't really look like himself. He only had two catches for mm-hmm. 14 yards, and it looked like he was a decoy out there. So I think there's something to be said for him, too, getting healthy, because I think either elsewhere in, in college or in the NFL, he's got aspirations. Kurt Weiler joining us from uh, Tallahassee, covers the Florida State Seminoles for the Democrat, the paper up there. All right, so moving forward, what does this team look like? I, I, I totally agree with you. La- lack of weapons without Tamari and Terry. Um, what are they going to do at quarterback? I know uh, Jordan Travis is hurt. Uh, Chubba Purdy may be the future. How do you see this playing out the rest of the year? Do they have any ch- chance or shot of getting to a bowl game? Well, the whole bowl game thing, I don't entirely know – how it will work with uh, them kind of suspending that you have to be like 500 or better to be eligible. It seems everyone's going to be eligible, so I don't know how that's going to work in terms of, uh, I mean, can a team pick, can, could the, 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 is it the Tax Slayer Bowl over in, in Jacksonville, or could the, what's the one in, in your neck of the woods? The I forget it's got a new name this year, the one they've played at the Trop and they played at oh, uh, the it's the mortgage union mortgage bowl or something. Um, yeah, the the could other a, game that's not the bowl, Outback Bowl at Raymond James Stadium. <laughs> yeah, could a could a bowl like that? Do they have to kind of go in order of ACC record? Is that how that's going to work, or could they say, "Well, I think FSU is going to be a better draw than if we picked Boston College or whatever"? And could they, you know, do something like that? I, that's what's so much unknown. I, think I mean, they if, can. It comes, if they if if it comes down to like record, then I can't. See anybody? I can't see there being enough bowls to get to FSU because you look at the rest of the schedule. Even if it's outside of Clemson uh, a week from now, it's not an especially hard schedule. But you just don't look at nothing. Florida State's shown you the last two weeks getting pretty uncompetitive losses to teams that I I don't think are especially great in Louisville and Pitt. I just don't think they've shown you anything that makes it believe, especially with the losses this week, they're going to go on a on a win streak. So I think it kind of hinges on how that bowl selection process goes. The whole quarterback thing, yeah, it, 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 Mike Norvell kind of talked today about saying that Jordan's getting evaluated mid-day to day. He didn't sound entirely optimistic. Could there be some gamesmanship there? Sure, but I would expect it, if not Jordan, to be Chella Purdy. And I think that would be one potential bright spot or, or interesting thing for Saturday's game, even with all the adversity and even with the questions about kind of the talent around him. I would say at receiver because they have established tight ends and the running backs have done pretty well this season. It, the question I would say really is, what's he look like? Because he's played two games now, but both games were late in the game with Florida State down by multiple scores, and it was just a, a tough situation for him. So what would he look like if he got to play a fresh game? If he got to start a game and it was 0-0 and he didn't have to kind of rally, he could play kind of a level playing ground. How would he handle that? Because, yes, he has been viewed as the quarterback of the future. So if, if Jordan's not 100%, I don't think they would play him, and I could see – Chubba getting his for he'd be the fourth quarterback to start a game this year for FSU, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. But I also think it's an NC State defense that is not especially impressive. I think he could have some success against them. If I if I were uh, Mike Norvell, I'd I'd put Jordan Travis um, in the slot. I'd put uh, probably Tofili in the slot. Uh, maybe in, take a cup, maybe Thompson out wide, another wide receiver out wide, spread it out, um, put Webb in the backfield, and not depend on that offensive line to do much of anything. Just distribute the ball, get the ball out quick, and, and let those guys win one-on-one because they, they can't do anything with that offensive line. It's, and now it's down uh, Devontae Love-Taylor. I don't, 
I just don't see how. And if you if you expect Chubba Purdy to take seven step drops, he's going to get killed. They they can't protect him. So, I mean, it, it I, I know that'd be different. a little bit radical, but they've got to do something to get this offense going, don't they? Uh, you're. I'm not. I mean, the the offense really hasn't been. I would say the defense has been a bigger problem than the offense this week. My thing is, I'm not saying the offensive line is great by any means. I'm not even sure I'd classify them as average. They've been noticeably better. And then last week, I mean, faced the best defensive line maybe in the country. I mean, Pitt entered leading, True. leading the le- leading the country in sacks and, and rush yards up per like yards per rush allowed. So I mean, that was a stellar Pitt defensive line and really defense as a whole. So especially once they lost that leader like Devontae Taylor, who's got all that experience on a pretty young line, it was going to be a tough situation for them. Will they miss Devontae? No doubt. But I'm not convinced that NC State's just going to live in the backfield. We'll have to see. Could they? Yeah. But we've seen the offense kind of in spite of the offensive line and in spite of some of the questions about skill position talent have really grow this season. And then last week felt like a step back. But some of that could just be attributed to Pitt. Is Hampson Nazaruddin ever going to play this year, you think? He uh, has apparently, Mike Norvell, the one bit of, I would say, good news today, outside of maybe Devontae Taylor's future, is that he has like had a decent workload at practice this week of like actual reps. I mean, wow. Norvell's kind of beat around the bush talking about things of, well, he's doing some stuff, I like what I'm seeing from him, but he's not going to be back until he's 100%, and, I'm 100, and we feel he's 100%. And I think that's getting close. I mean, that it, it, it speaks a lot to him. I mean, you talk about guys who maybe don't have a ton to prove in the season that he wants to come back and be a part of this with what this season looks like. And, I mean, he's a guy, I don't know where he'd be regarded as an NFL draft prospect now. I think he could help his stock, in, especially in, in, as a coverage uh, defensive back. But he'd be a major boost of experience back there. I think they're also – Hopeful they might get Renardo Green and Travis Jay, who started a lot of games at safety this year back. Wow. They both missed last last week's game, and they were depleted on defense. And so uh, there is a little bit of optimism there. It's it is by far the most concrete proof we've gotten that hey, he's pretty close. Well, let's hope the uh, the Knowles can squeeze out a couple more wins. I think maybe um, a bowl game would would take a flyer on them uh, down here in Tampa, but. We shall see. Kurt Weiler, Tallahassee Democrat, thank you for your time, partner. We'll chat down the line. Appreciate it. That sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, and follow him on Twitter, by the way. Kurt Weiler, that's with a C. Kurt Weiler, look him up. And um, great stuff at the Tallahassee Democrat as well. If you're an FSU football fan. All right. We will uh, take a quick break. We'll come back and um, catch you up to date on the latest news and notes around the NFL, uh, the COVID situations. And coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll hear from Chris Godwin and more from Bruce Arians on um, this this week's game against Carolina and what the hell happened against New Orleans. We're still regurgitating that. Stay with me. The Big 8. 820 WWBA. The Big 8. Coming back at you. Now, more with JP on Fan Stream Sports. It's only just begun. And a hearty welcome back. I want to thank the good folks at the Golden Diamond Source for sponsoring our Golden Player of the Day. Of course, we haven't had a lot of uh, activity in that regard since no more baseball, no more hockey. By the way, hockey should be starting up January 1, Lord willing. Love to see that. Um, Hopefully, baseball will start at its normal time. And the NBA probably going to start up a little December 22nd, I think is the... uh, 
the time for that. Yes, but sir, um, December twenty second. I don't know who the, I think we could pick Shaq Barrett. I think he's about the only one that had a halfway decent game against uh, the Saints last week after that debacle. Um, I think he had what five pressures in the game. Um, so he's playing some good football. Doesn't have the sack numbers, obviously, but uh, uh, he's definitely got the pressures that have that have helped his football team win big time games. All right, seven two seven five one eight zero eight twenty is the number. A couple other notes you got to get to. Uh, this is uh, a big deal in college football, Maryland is canceled its game with Ohio State, number three Ohio State this week because of coronavirus. The game will not be made up. So for Ohio State, this is another knock uh, for them. I mean, they were only going to play, I think, what, seven games plus a Big Ten championship, and now this one won't be rescheduled because the Big Ten started so late that they can't reschedule games like a bunch of knuckleheads. Still have no reason and no understanding of why the Big Ten started so late because they clearly everybody was already in camp. The teams were already practicing. They were already getting tested. They were doing everything except playing games and just waiting around for an arbitrary time. I mean, why would they do that unless somebody actually didn't want them to finish the season? The only really the only reason I could think of. So figure that out from a political standpoint, if you so desire. But what this is going to do right now to Ohio State is they miss another chance to impress the voters. And a Maryland team with uh, Tua's brother that was kicking ass, or they're 2-1. And, um, and another chance for Ohio State to get a good quality win. So if they, if they end up only playing five regular season games, and it's not even against the best competition in the Big Ten, and even if they win a Big Ten championship game, what's that resume going to look like compared to a uh, an SEC team that may have played 10 games uh, in, in a very tough conference that may have two losses? I'm thinking of like maybe a Florida. I mean, if Florida's sitting there with uh, – if they lose – let's say Florida loses a, a three-point game in the SEC championship game to Alabama, and Ohio State's sitting there at 6-0. and and what? So what would that be for Florida? They would be what? Nine, nine and two, nine right? And two, yes. If, yeah, including SEC championship game. Yes, nine and two. A nine and two a season with lot with with a win over Georgia. Um, what other quality teams have they really played? They went on the road, played you know A and M tough, and A and M's only got one loss. Um, you know, I have to look look back at the schedule. Who else did? Uh, I mean, Missouri's not a big. 820 WWBA. Let's go. Right now. Back to the show with JP on, on FanStream Sports. All right. Welcome back on our Hump Day program here, the JP Peterson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, really appreciate you guys stopping by each and every day on 820 AM, 98.3 in Pinellas, 96.7 in Tampa. Also 1060 AM on the east coast of Florida. Over there in Titusville, a little bit of Orlando. We're everywhere. And also on fanstreamsports.com, you can catch our podcast. We really appreciate you listening in each and every day. Tell a friend. Tell a friend about the program. Tell them uh, you get the best local content from the most experienced people and the best reporters and best guests. That's what we do. Right, Radio Johnny? That's what we do yes, each sir. and every day. For sure. Oh, and remember, you're also on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. My goodness. We're everywhere. I really shouldn't be allowed to be that many places, to be quite honest. Um, 727-518-0820 if you want to jump aboard, talk some bucks. Uh, Kevin Cash, congrats to him, manager of the year. Uh, and all anybody wants to still talk about is his decision to take out Blake Snell. Completely unfair. Can we stop that? 
See, I'm telling you, if we had a boat parade, Johnny, for the American League championship, um, we'd all have a better taste in our mouths because now that's all we're thinking about. That's the last image we really think about the Rays, and it's not fair because we had such a great season. We should celebrate the great season we had and, and get rid of this bad taste we got in our mouth. You know what I'm saying? We can't do that unless we do something. we got to have a celebration. Hey, Stu, come out of pocket, man. Let's go. Let's have a little, little boat parade. Socially distanced, wear your masks. It's all good. But congrats to Kevin Cash. He did a hell of a job. Um, Well-deserved. He's finished third the last couple of years, and I just don't understand that. So finally, he is, um, you know, he should have won it last year, I think, hands down. But no doubt this was his year, and he wins it. Hopefully he gets a nice little bonus in his contract too. You know, we, and we talked a little earlier about this, and I don't think we really finished the thought. Um, you know, when the Rays had Joe Madden, they really – didn't make a strong effort to counter the offer that the Cubs made. And, and Madden has told us, told me many times that, you know, had the Rays made, they didn't have to match the offer from the Cubs, but had they made a credible offer that he probably would have stayed in Tampa Bay. And, you know, I hope this doesn't happen with Kevin Cash. I mean, here you have a guy that grew up here, uh, went to high school here in Tampa Bay at Gaither, um, Florida State guy. He's homegrown. He's a manager of the year. He's our guy. You know, he should be the manager as long as he wants to be the manager here for like forever. He, he obviously is bought into what the organization is doing. Um, people are going to come after him. Don't think they won't. They will. So I really hope the history does not repeat itself. I mean, I hope that Stu Sternberg understands what he has in Kevin Cash and the fact that you have a manager that can allow you to spend the third least in the league and still get to the World Series. So come out of pocket for the manager. If he want if he needs five, six million dollars a year, make it happen. You got plenty of money to do it. And this, you know, of all it's not like, you know, a David Price situation where you have to guarantee a guy three hundred and twenty million to make him stay. We're not asking you to do that. Four, five, six million a year is a competitive wage for a guy that's the manager of the year. And with all the ties and his commitment to this organization, I don't think that's too much to ask. But do we really think Stu Sternberg's going to do that? Well, we haven't seen any inclination to, to keep people around. So let's hope maybe this will be something new in his quiver. But don't hold your breath. All right, 727-518-0820 if you want to join the program. Uh, Bruce Arians talked today. A couple of uh, tidbits to share with you. Ali Marpet practiced today. So hopefully if he passes his protocol test the next couple of days, not COVID, well, obviously he has to pass his COVID as well, but the concussion protocol, he will be back. Usually situations like this, guys get back, and uh, Lord, please, we got to have Ali Marpet. You know, I had some, you know, I tweeted out after the game, boy, now we really know how much we miss Ali Marpet and Vita Vea. Look how important they are to this team. And somebody's like, well, uh, you have a guy that rotates out every other defensive series, which Vita Vea did not, but whatever. And a left guard, uh, maybe there's something more wrong with the team. No, if you actually know how good these guys are and how important they are to what we do, you understand that this is something that the coaching staff really needs to address better. I mean, you can sit there and say Joe Haig was awful, and he was, 
But how much of that is on the coaching staff? Did they pick the wrong guy to play left guard or yeah, left guard in this game? You know, would would AQ Shipley have been a better choice? Um, certainly, what they did in hindsight didn't work. So, first of all, let's get Ali Marpet back, and second of all, let's have a better plan if we have an injury. I don't think the uh, the the Bucks did a very good job of making up for that injury in terms of a coaching standpoint. They did not. Um, address that concern well enough. I mean, teams will make adjustments when they have injuries, add extra guys to help out blocking. If this guy can't get it done, the Bucks did not protect Brady. The plan was flawed and ill-executed. Needs to be better, no doubt about it. Um, as for the Panthers this week, the Bucks play at the Panthers, 1 o'clock on Sunday. CMC, um, McCaffrey will not play. He's got a shoulder surgery or shoulder injury. It looks like he's not going to play at this point. So they'll go with Mike Davis, who's a really good player. Um, they've got a potent offense. They went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. This is not going to be an easy game, but the Bucks got to step up. And if they are the playoff team we think they are, if they are a contender for the Super Bowl, this is a game where you turn it around. You come back with a great game plan on both sides of the ball. You get back to doing what you do best defensively, which is pressure quarterbacks and, and play man-to-man. It's not going to be easy. Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel are getting hot. They are good receivers, and they are fast receivers. Um, Arians was asked about that today, about his corners taking a regression. Uh, last week, they were beaten badly. Jamel Dean had a bad week. And the week before, had, you know, Danny Dimes been on, on target. You know, it would be two straight weeks that Jamel Dean has been kind of toasty. You know, Carlton Davis still a very, very good man-to-man player. So and I think part of the problem last week was they played so much zone, and that's not what the corners do very well. So get them back to doing what they do well this week against the Panthers, and I think they'll have a hell of a lot uh, more success. Now, offensively, we talked about the game plan with Mike Evans and whether he was targeted or not. We did an interview with John Ledyard from the Pewter Report earlier today. He had a great, great article on Pewter Report about uh, Mike Evans uh, breaking down the tape. And, you know, the bottom line is the biggest problem in the game was not only the lack of getting the ball um, out because of the pressure, but perhaps the fact that they tried to or did work in Antonio Brown more than they needed to. I mean, we talk about Mike Evans. What happened to the snaps for Scotty Miller? I mean, think about this. Scotty Miller has been Brady's go-to guy most of this season. With, With Godwin being out intermittently and Evans being out intermittently, the most consistent receiver has been Scotty Miller. And how many big plays has he made for this team? He barely played because of Antonio Brown. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. Um, you know, we were told this is an insurance policy, and I, I think the Bucks tried way too hard to get Antonio Brown involved in a game with, in an offense that, you know, you know, Scotty Miller's been running a lot of those shorter routes, and we did not see that at least successfully in his last game. So, you know, Chris Godwin now getting back better with his finger. He'll play again. Uh, he met the media today. Let's listen in a little bit to his Zoom call with the media as uh, they look forward to a divisional game against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Hey, Chris, I, I know injuries have been a big part of your year. <clears throat> Come back from all of them. Um, just We haven't talked to you since you know the, the Raiders game. Just take us through how you did that and when you discovered that uh, you might have hurt that finger. Yeah, um... It was on the the touchdown I scored. Uh, just trying to make sure that I got 
that I was that I was inbounds. Um, so when I put my hand down, it was just open, kind of like a freak accident, kind of bent in a, in a weird way. Um, I, I, honestly, I thought it was just a jam. So I just got to tape up, continue to play. Um, next day, it was more swollen than than usual. So I got to take down. Happened to be broken. You know, obviously, like that's a disappointing thing, but. You know, injuries happen, and you know that's not really something that I can control. So, only thing I can really do is focus on on getting back, which is what I was doing. And I'm just glad to be out there with my boys. How much pain are you in? And and, and how does I know you got that uh, kind of splint and a, and a cast over? You got some pins in that finger. So, mm-hmm. how does it inhibit you at all trying to catch the ball? I mean, of course, it it, it affects how I catch the ball, just kind of how I move, um, just naturally. But I mean, I I go out there and, and I'm trying to do my job. You know, it's not really like an excuse for for me not not doing what I do. Um, if I'm if I'm out there, it's because I feel comfortable enough to go out and actually play and and to contribute to you know to a team victory. Thanks. Next question come from Greg Almond. Hey, Chris, I know you guys like to put these games to bed after 24 hours, but it's our, our only chance to get you on this. So just want to ask you about Sunday uh, and why things started so slow, why you guys, why you think you guys had the four, three and outs to start and kind of dug a, a big hole there early. Oh, honestly, I, I really just think uh, it comes down to execution. Um, you know, I, I think when we go out there, we like, we have, we have a good game plan going in and, you know, sometimes things don't really go your way. Um, they did a really good job of, you know, playing their um uh, you know, to their strengths and playing their game plan and they just execute it better than us. You know, we got to take that one on the chin and, and we got to learn from it and grow, which we'll do. Chrissy, you and Mike, it always seems have been very good about uh, handling whatever role is given to you. There's lots of people worried about chemistry issues with Antonio Brown coming in and him potentially taking uh, a bigger piece of the offensive pie as far as that goes. How do you think you guys will handle just the juggling of, of one ball and a lot of people that are deserving of getting it? Honestly, I think we'll be fine. Um, like you said, you know, me and Mike, you know, we're, we're no strangers to that. I, you know, I think we're coming in, you know, with the same mentality that we've always had. You know, we got a bunch of great guys in this locker room that are solely focused on winning, you know, and when you have the chance to add a, another great talent, you know, you do that. So we're looking forward to that opportunity of really, like, learning and growing and, and fitting them in the offense. Thanks, Chris. Next, we'll go to Jenna Lane. Hey, Chris, glad to see that you're feeling better. Um, on the subject of Antonio Brown, what has he brought to your receiving group that maybe you guys were were lacking? Uh, I mean, honestly, when you when you just look at his skill set, you know, obviously he's a very explosive player, and and yeah, he has a really good track record. Um, you know, so I think when you're able to add that kind of experience and that kind of, uh, I, I guess, explosiveness, I, I think you really add a lot of a lot more. Um, it's just ability to the room. You know, we we have a, a pretty diverse room just in terms of what we do and the different things that we bring. You know, we bring a talent like that in, it can only make us better. I know that you guys were looking forward to this rematch against the Saints, right? So can you just take us through how you were feeling to go out there and, and with such high expectations for you guys just to not deliver? I mean, how are you feeling after that? How much does a loss like that eat at you? Yeah, obviously, anytime you, you go out there and you lose, especially in the way that we did, you know, it's disappointing. It's frustrating, um, especially, you know, when it's a, a division opponent. Uh, so, like I said, we're, we're going to take that one on the chin and, and we learn from it. Um, they played a good game. That's hats off to them. Uh, it's, it's our job to learn from it and get better and make sure that it, uh, that it doesn't happen again. Thanks, Chris. Next, we'll go to Scott Reynolds. Hey, Chris. Uh, the best record you guys have had since you've been here was 7-9 and nine last year. You'll get to seven wins with your next victory, whether it's Sunday or, or down the road here. 
how much did, does this six and three start buoy you guys and, 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 and give you some, some real confidence and hope that this can end, uh, that the season can end where you guys want it to, which is in the playoffs. Yeah, we're, we're very confident in that. Um, you know, I think when we approached this season, uh, we, we understood, you know, what, what our capabilities were, what the uh, potential was, but we also understand that it's not just going to happen overnight and we have to continue to put the work in. Um, like, yeah, like with our next win, we'll kind of, we'll tie that win total that, or my highest win total since I've been here, um, you know, but, but we have higher aspirations, you know, we, so we're just going to take it game by game and continue to just work. You know, that's all we can do right now. Thanks, Chris. Next, we'll go to Steve Isbitz. Chris, Coach Arian said he might make changes to the team's schedule in the 24 hours leading up to night games because something might not be quite right. Do you have any thoughts on why the team has struggled in the three night games? Uh, honestly, I, I I don't really have anything in mind. Um, you know, there's there's no excuse, you know, for us going out there and not executing. You know, we just have to go out there and do it. Like I said we have we have to look at, at the mistakes we've made and, and grow from them. And I'm confident that we'll do that. We got a bunch of really good guys on this team, a bunch of experienced guys. So like we're we'll get it figured out. And did you expect to play as much as you did on uh, Sunday night? You pretty much played the whole game. Yeah, like I said, and uh, if if I'm out there playing, it, it's because I, I feel confident in my ability to go out and help the team. Um, you know, I'm not going to put myself at a, uh, in, in a disadvantageous position, nor am I going to put the team in a compromising position. Um, so if I'm out there, it's because I feel confident in that, you know, in, in my ability to help my team. Thanks. Next Listen to Chris Godwin, Bucks receiver. Chris, nine games into the season, what would you say is the offensive identity of this team, your bread and butter, what you do well? Good question. Uh, that's a good question. I, uh, I would – so I, I would said. naturally say our passing game. Um, I think we have so many, so many weapons, you know, like between running backs, tight ends, and receivers that we can go to. You know, I feel like that, like that's kind of our bread and butter. But I think as we continue to go throughout the season, we're going to have to do a better job running the ball. You know, receivers going to have to do a better job blocking. You know, we're going to have to be uh, all on on the same accord in order for us to get to where we want to go. Um, you know, there's some really good teams out there, really good defenses, and you can't just be one dimensional. So it's our job to make sure that we're as balanced as possible. Thanks. Next question will come from Sarah Walsh. Chris Godwin, media availability today. Hey Chris, um, I know you talked about a second ago, you know, you take that loss and you just learned from it. A couple weeks ago, uh, penalties were an issue, and I know Bruce really harped on that, and that was the one thing that guys really focused on cleaning up, and, and we saw that change the next game. Is there one thing, um, after you watch the, the film from Sunday night, is there one thing that jumps out to you of, like, this is the, this is the thing we got to fix for this week going forward? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say one thing. I, I think there's three things. I think it's, there's penalties, um, you know, there's turnovers and then there's just, um, like execution problems. So mental errors. Um, and I think if we just really focus on fixing those things, I think we'll, we'll really see a change in, you know, in the outcome, um, similar to like how it was earlier in the season. Um, and like, that just comes to, you know, that's just, just attention to detail. Uh, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm confident in our ability to fix that. Next we'll go to Kevin Lewis. Chris, the league uh, did some things locally in Tampa uh, just for Veterans Day and just for that and community projects. I know you have a foundation just in a season like this where you're not allowed maybe to go to a school or a hospital. How important is it to keep those activities going in some form or fashion? Oh, it's very important. Um, I think 
our, our community service just uh, with the guys on this team is something that's very important to us. Uh, you know, we really enjoy getting out in the community and really helping where we can. Um, and so this, you know, in a year like this where we can't actually do that, it's very tough. But, um, you know, I, I guys have a lot of really good teams around them that allow us to to really still have that outreach and then still make an impact without physically being there. And uh, that's stuff that we take pride in. Thanks. Chris Godwin, Next Bucks receiver. Last Chris, question. Um, back to your finger. Um, do you still have pins in your finger? What, what's the situation there? And if so, how many? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I do have pins in it. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily like remember how many, uh, but I do know that they're still there. Um, you know, hopefully, I get those out pretty soon. But you know, my finger's doing really well. Um, you know, I'm just looking forward to continue to play, and you know, and I'm sure it'll continue to do better as as it continues to heal. And that was uh, Chris Godwin's media availability today. I mean, nothing earth-shattering out, out of that except to say that, you know, he, he's saying all the right things, um, you know, about the offense, and, and still it's it's a work in progress, no doubt about it. Um, you know, but again, you know, to me, when you have Scotty Miller getting so much fewer snaps and not being any part of the game where on the best offensive performances I think we've seen for the Bucks this year, he's been a huge part of it. Um, that's an issue. And, and even if it's Antonio Brown or whatever it is, I mean, think about this. Why would you necessarily want to bring, if you, all your receivers are healthy, okay, if, if Antonio Brown's an insurance policy, why would you choose the New Orleans game, the biggest game of the year, to try and work him into the offense? And it clearly didn't work. And it was clearly part of the issue. It's just, you know, again, when you look at coaching decisions and how they go about things, and I I warned last week, I said, I hope that it doesn't become, you know, part of uh, either, you know, occupies Brady's mind or the coach's mind. And, you know, the fact that Antonio did have that many targets, which I think was five. I mean, that's, and and Scotty Miller had what, one? I don't even know if he had any. I'm not even sure how much he played. And, you know, that's got to be an issue. And it certainly is going to cause some issues in in the uh, in the locker room. All right, we will uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Masters uh, golf. Gary Koch joined us yesterday, and we're going to hit on a couple of themes and get you up to date on the latest news uh, from the Masters. The weather looks like it's going to be pretty good this weekend. Maybe a little bit of rain, um, but not as much as they had thought. And um, I saw some pictures today, and it just looks incredible as the leaves are changing at Augusta. Something we've never seen during the spring. Uh, back in three. Stay with us. WWBA. Ladies and gentlemen, let's rock. This is FanStream Sports with JP. Hey kids, it's going to be a beautiful day on Friday down in Sarasota, so come join us at the Oak and Stone on Clark Road for a little happy hour action. Uh, wear your gear, get free beer, you get $5 off the infamous beer wall that has 50 different taps of craft beers and all kinds of um, good stuff from all over the nation, all over the world. So come check us out at the Oak and Stone on Clark Road. Beautiful indoor-outdoor restaurant right there. Great place to watch the games come Saturday, come Sunday. They have the NFL Sunday ticket. Wear your gear and get free beer on the weekends as well. So it's the Oak and Stone on Clark Road in Sarasota. Uh, Check out any of the Oak and Stones in your area, all the way down to Naples, Sarasota, Bradenton, and in downtown 
St. Petersburg as well. We got to get one in downtown Tampa, where I am today. Doing the show from the home, from the uh, from the house today. Didn't want to travel on over. How's the weather over there, Johnny? Radio Johnny. Starting to pick up a little bit. Some wind and a lot of rain. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, it, it's a little bit of um, the rain's coming down a little bit now. No flooding where I'm at in downtown Tampa. The winds look to be about 20 miles an hour. Looks like they're gusting to about 30. Um, I'm looking at the radar right now on Bay News 9, and I don't think the heavy stuff's coming down for quite some time. Um, but it's going to keep rolling in tonight. But I think it'll pre- pretty much be out of here by tonight and uh, clear up tomorrow and the next day as well, even though I believe they've already canceled school for Thursday and Friday in Hillsborough County, public schools. And a lot of jobs have already closed, too. <laughs> yeah. What a scam. What a scam. Good job, guys. All right, 727-518-0820 will get you into the program. The Masters starts tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, the first ever November Masters. I was watching some of the coverage today, and they had these beautiful drone shots. Um, uh, and you could see that I've never seen the course from this perspective. And there's the changing of the leaves going on. You don't have the, you know, the azaleas busting out, but... Uh, beautiful colors, uh, fall colors for Augusta. And from what, for the most part, I don't hear the players talking about the course playing that much different than it plays in the spring. Um, the only news, I guess, of note, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, the Hulk, said that he may bust out the 48-inch driver. Tested it out this past week on Monday, I believe it was. And um, even though he was hitting it 30, 40 yards past Tiger, in their practice round, he uh, wants to get the swing speed up to 143 miles an hour uh, in his pursuit of getting ball speed of 200 miles an hour, and he's getting damn close. And right now, he's going to be hitting wedge into almost every par four and nine irons, eight, seven irons into par fives for his second shot. I mean, and and they've added trees uh, uh, to the the 13th, and he's still hitting them over the trees. Now, we, uh, we chatted with Gary Koch yesterday from the Golf Channel. Uh, NBC Golf, uh, of course, obviously played at the Master, tied for 16th during his career and has covered it for a, a long, long time. I mean, obviously not calling the Masters because that's the CBS folks. Um, hello, friends. But we chatted him with him yesterday and asked him about the changes in having no patrons this year at Augusta. Um, I have been fortunate uh, to, to have had the opportunity to go up there and play a few times other than when I played in the Masters. And um, I think the one thing that strikes you when you, you know, when you don't have all the grandstands up and you don't have all the patrons around is just how expansive the piece of property is. It really, it, it's you know, well over 300 acres, which you know, for a golf course is a tremendous amount of property. I mean, most courses... You know, you, you try to fit on 200, maybe maybe as much as 250 acres. But, uh, you know, this being on over 300 acres, I mean, it, it truly is a very expansive piece of property, very beautiful, rolling. You know, we all know about the elevation changes uh, and, and just uh, a, a very uh, unique look to it now, uh, one that uh, I think will be very interesting how people – you know, take it when they do see it uh, the way they will here coming up in the next four days. And how does it change the way players approach it? Because, and you could tell us tell us this from a player standpoint. You know, you know where the the grandstands are, and you know if you hit it a little long, it's not going that far, right? Uh, you know where the fans are. So, um, they, there's some holes like 
I'm trying to think over the back of number eight, maybe where right. you would normally, sure. uh, you know, mm-hmm. you would normally play. Oh, I I can hit it there. Can't mm-hmm. do that anymore. The players have to yeah, keep that in true. mind. Yeah, very true. I I think that's one of the things that uh, you know the players will have to uh, certainly adjust to. They'll be making their notes as they're playing their practice rounds. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm sure uh, you know, like at number nine, uh, you know, oftentimes if you were out of position off the uh, tee, uh, you know, with the gallery right there, just to the right of the green. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was not bad to hit it there because it usually would stop there, and you'd have a reasonable shot to play from there. But uh, with the patrons not there now, mm. uh, you know that could that could leave a very interesting third shot. So I'm sure there are plenty of places uh, where the guys are making notes and and saying, you know, hey, <laughs> I better make sure I don't don't do yeah, this. Yeah, They'll, we may see some people playing from places we've never seen them play before, which will be. Very, very interesting. Um, and they also put up some trees behind the bunkers at 18 uh, to keep guys from uh, Bryson DeChambeau. I, I think uh, from what I'm hearing, I've talked to a couple of our folks that are up there. Uh, it sounds as though they've added some trees in several places. Oh. Uh, a new one supposedly uh, somewhere off the tee on 13 to try to make uh, you know going up and over the corner a little bit more difficult. Oh. Uh, you know, they, they do have a way of kind of uh, sneaking stuff in uh-huh. on the players. And, you know, the, it's one of the things when you played your practice rounds there, you were always trying to, you know, uncover what might be a little bit different than what it was the year before. So, uh, yeah, not surprising. I mean, with all that's being written about Bryson DeChambeau and uh-huh. some of these other guys and how far they're hitting the ball, um, that, you know, the powers to be wouldn't, try to make you know some small changes just to just to make it a little bit more difficult uh gary coke there from nbc golf channel um joined us yesterday and interesting to note that uh, fred ridley who hails from uh tampa here a uh, member over palmasia where um uh now the the augusta national chairman if you don't know that fred ridley addressed the golf uh media yesterday and was asked about dechambeau and he left uh, open the fact that they may be considering making some changes at the Masters in terms of the golf ball. Um, I talked about this um, a few months ago uh, with Gary. I think we had him on at Bob Herrig. And I think it's a very distinct possibility that, uh, that Augusta leads the way. Because now they're, they're not officially part of the PGA Tour. They're, they're an invitational. They're part of the tour, obviously. Um, but they're not controlled by the tour. And they could do whatever the hell they want. And if they want to have a, quote, master's golf ball that has a certain compression, they can do so. Um, and frankly, I think it would be best for the sport. I think it would be best for Augusta because there's no way to lengthen it anymore. They've lengthened it 500 yards, I think, uh, in time, trying to tiger-proof it from back in, what, 97. So this is, I think, the next step in, in the game of golf because guys like DeChambeau, are going to keep doing what they're doing and getting bigger and using technology to advance. And, you know, there's only so much land. It's a finite amount. So I think it's it's probably time that golf does it. And I think, as usual, the Masters will lead the way. Here's uh, Gary talking about the DeChambeau effect at Augusta. Well, let's, uh, since you mentioned Mr. DeChambeau, um, he said, I guess today, that he, he would uh, leave the 48-inch driver in his trunk for this week's Master, <laughs> but has now reversed course to bring out the big stick. Um, I saw I saw a report the other day that he was hitting like 7-iron uh, into 15 or 9-iron into number 8, these par 5s. I mean, is yeah. it, 
Yeah, I guess he played a practice round uh, about a week ago with Sandy Lyle, the mm-hmm. uh, 1988 champion. And uh, I guess Sandy Lyle talked to a few people from the media and, and was just absolutely blown away by some of the places that Bryson hit it. I guess he hit an eight iron to number two, the par five. He drove it over the green on number three, the par four. Uh, seven iron into number eight, which is the par five up the hill, which, you know, often guys can reach, but it's usually with a, a wood or a very long iron. Yeah. Uh, seven iron to 13, that was after he hit a three wood off the tee. And then he hit nine iron into, into the par five 15. So um, I read somewhere where he's kind of approaching this with uh, the idea that par for him at Augusta is really about 68 or nine. Oh. So, um you know, if that's the case, and and obviously he's going to have to drive the ball straight. Yep. I mean, you know, it's, the fairways are wide at Augusta, but there are plenty of trees. You know, when he won at the U.S. Open, he hit it in the rough a number of times there at Wingfoot, but mm. Wingfoot had also removed several thousand trees. So when he was in the rough, very rarely did he have anything in front of him. Um, if you miss the fairways at Augusta on a number of the holes, you're going to be in the trees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to be needing to curve the ball or get low. the ball yeah. low. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, unlike Wingfoot, uh, that had uh, about 10 of the non-par three holes where you could run the ball up on the green right. uh, from the rough, uh, that's not necessarily the case at Augusta. Yeah. I mean, the hole like number seven, you're not going to run it up on that green. The bunkers in front are about 10 or 12 feet deep. So, uh, it'll be fascinating to see. We know we can hit the ball extremely long. I mean, unbelievable distances. Um, in my mind, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it, you know, between the trees and, and be able to take advantage of all that length. Gary Koch joining us here uh, from NBC Golf, Golf Channel. And, and obviously putting is the big thing, and he's improved dramatically in his putting. There's no doubt about that. But not necessarily at Augusta. He struggled in putting at Augusta. Um, how does that factor in? Well, I think that's huge. Um, you know, the the greens at Augusta are are very unique. I mean, they're uh, you know they're they're only a handful of courses that uh, have greens anywhere near like they do they are at Augusta. I mean, the, the undulation, uh, you know, change in elevation and slopes and. Uh, size, uh, you know, lag putting is huge. And, and, you know, if you can avoid ha- leaving yourself those four or five and six foot putts for pars, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, now, I will give him a lot of credit. Uh, you look at it statistically, DeChambeau has improved his putting dramatically in the last two or three years. And we saw it at Wingfoot. I mean, the greens were plenty fast there and they had some slope. And that final round, I mean, he made the putts that he needed to make. Um, it'll be interesting to see, can he continue to do that uh, on these greens at Augusta? And as you mentioned, I mean, his best finish there was when he was an amateur back in 2015, I believe it was. And he was like a tie for 21st. So obviously the greens have given him some, you know, issues in the past. Uh, can he get past that this year? It'll be, it'll be fun to watch and see. That's Gary Koch from uh, NBC Golf Channel. Um, a really interesting feature today, Tom Rinaldi on ESPN did on uh, Tiger winning last year. and What an amazing event um, and moment that was in golf history. And it's a really good piece. And it talks about how all the former champions went up to um, uh, the champion's locker room and got their green jackets uh, to meet Tiger as he finished and came in to sign his scorecard. You know, game, game respects game. 
And um, that was quite um, a show to see all those former champions uh, be there to support him. That's not not the norm, but they all knew they were watching history. And um, uh, who was it? Um, oh, Zach Thomas, uh, the 2007 champion, actually said, and this is this is hilarious. He said he was watching on his caddy's phone Tiger play the tournament, streaming it live while he's playing his final round. And I think he was, you know, a few shots back, but he was like between shots. He was watching Tiger while he was playing in the tournament. That's unbelievable. Um, But, you know, the players wanted to see history and that's what Tiger means to him. Um, And uh, I asked uh, Gary about Tiger Woods and what he thinks his chances are uh, to win this week. We talked 15 minutes and we haven't even mentioned Tiger Woods, which is a first, which is a (laughs) first. Yeah, it really, it really is interesting, isn't it? I mean, it just, you know, you're right for a defending champion to really not be in the conversation. I mean, obviously there've been some articles written about him, but you know, the bottom line, I hate to say it, uh, JP from the golf that I've witnessed him play here Mm. in the last, you know, few months, um, there's just no reason to think that, you know, he'll be right there in contention, you know, over the weekend. I mean, it is, he doesn't seem to be moving as well as he was, you know, a year and a half ago. Uh, his putting is certainly not anywhere near yeah. what we've expected from him in the past. I mean, the last year or so, his putting has not been very good uh, by even by tour standards. Um you know, his ball speed is down a little bit. His his swing speed is down a little bit. Um, and, I, you know, who knows whether it's, you know, the back issue still or just age. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. it's going to be 45 years old here in about two months. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's hard to it's hard to compete with those guys that are 25, 26, 27 yeah. years old uh, when you get to that age. And, you know, when you look at it realistically, yes, last year or you know the the previous Masters was a great win for him, and and one of the greatest achievements in in golf and and maybe in all of sports. Uh, but it was also a perfect storm. I mean, he played well, yes, but he was in position to take advantage of about three or four guys really messing up That's on right. Sunday. Yeah. You know, Brooks Kepka, uh, Francesco Molinari, yeah, yeah. Tony Finau. Uh, you know, and there were uh, Patrick Cantley was right there. So, uh, you know, it was kind of he had positioned himself to to take advantage when everybody else kind of fell away. Um, and I, I, like I say, I mean, I, I, would I love to see it? Absolutely, yeah. it'd be great to see him up there on the weekend. Do I expect to see it? No, I'm afraid I don't. No, I think you're right. And that sucks, you know, because it's always better when Tiger is in contention. But you never know. You never know. Jack contended at the Masters until he was about 60, consistently. Um, and Tiger knows this golf turn, golf uh, course better than anybody. By the way, at the Masters Club dinner last night, the Champions Dinner, he served sushi, a tempura shrimp, spicy tuna, avocado, eel sauce, tempura flakes, pickled ginger, wasabi, soy sauce, the Augusta roll. Oh, that sounds so delectable. And then the entree was... Prime steak and chicken fajitas. What? Fajitas? Okay. Uh, With grilled vegetables, pico de gallo, sour cream, guacamole, and flour tortillas. Okay. Um, Dessert, classic flan, churros, and chocolate sauce. Sounds good. And a couple of wines that I'm told are very, very hard to uh, find. A 2015 Schaefer, Schaefer? 
Red Shoulder Ranch Chardonnay from Napa Valley and a Cabernet Sauvignon, which are very hard to find. So that was the champion's dinner that none of us had. That sounds like a Can't, mouthful. Yeah. I, hey, fajitas. I'm down. I love me some fajitas. And I'm it's sushi. It. I'm Absolutely. down with it. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Uh, quick break, or maybe we might go five or six minutes here. And I'll come back and wind it all up from our guests today, what we have learned in the program, and the latest uh, from Florida State, who had a very interesting day. And uh, USF just had a game change time for them this weekend. We'll have that for you when we come back. Think I'll make me some homemade soon. The Big 8. 820 WWBA. The Big 8. Pure, pure sports. JP is back on. Welcome back. Fan stream sports. All right, welcome back. Final segment here from the show. We'll hear from uh, Bruce Arians here in just a second. The uh, final few questions from today's press conference. The good news is for Buck fans, Ali Marpet will be back at left guard. Looks like for this weekend unless he has any setbacks from his concussion protocol. He did practice today. Very good news. Um, no other real uh, problems on the uh, on the injury report. Godwin practiced today, or, or I shouldn't say fully practiced. He was limited, but he'll uh, probably won't catch footballs again until Friday. And um, But he'll be ready to go this week. Antonio Brown ready to go. They'll have the whole complement, mostly uh, of these players, coming up this weekend for their 1 o'clock tilt against the Panthers, where the Bucks are four-and-a-half-point um, favorites in the game. Christian McCaffrey looks like he's a no-go for the Panthers this week, but they still have a lot of weapons uh, on offense. Um, now we'll get into some of the matchups tomorrow against the Panthers, and we're uh, efforting to get one of their beat reporters on, so we'll, know, we'll learn more about the Panthers and their surprising season in, in just a little bit. Um, let's, uh, in fact, uh, Johnny, let's play the rest of Bruce Arians today to uh, clean up the last few questions. And these are coming from the beat reporters over in Carolina. Very interesting perspective on what um, they're asking the uh, the head coach. It's it every week we get an opportunity to question the uh, the opposing coach. So a lot of that has, hasn't happened this year, but now they guess they're starting to do that a little bit more, and it's always interesting to hear um, the perspectives from the opposing coach. But here's the Carolina beat writers questioning uh, Bruce Arians today. Oh, I, I was wondering if I, if I just couldn't hear it. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm doing the show from home today due to the travel uh, difficulties out there, although... It's uh, it's not as bad as I thought it would be today. We're still. I just saw a live shot from Davis Islands, and uh, the surf is definitely up big time. The um, the tides are way way up, but you know, so far no really damaging coastal flooding that I that I've seen reported. Had a few tornadoes this morning. I don't haven't seen a whole lot of damage reported on the news yet, but looks like um, tropical storm Ada will come through for the most part tonight. And I think uh, tomorrow and the next day, we, we should clear out pretty pretty good for the weekend. So, And then some nice weather on the way. So that will be nice. I mentioned um, USF, their game at Houston this weekend has been rescheduled because a lot of the postponements, they're trying to refigure their, um, their TV schedule. So they're going to play Houston at 3.30 on ESPN2 uh, this weekend. So a chance to watch the bulls. Most of the games have been on like streaming. So I haven't seen a bunch of them, but this week we'll be able to watch them against Houston 
and uh, may have a shot at getting another win for uh, Jeff Scott. They're starting to play much better football. Should have beat Memphis last week on the road. Had um, had a nice lead in that second half, but uh, you know that's part of learning for your team and for your new head coach. You got to learn how to close out games, and uh, the Bulls didn't quite do it last week, but they'll get another shot uh, this week um, at Houston. Um, other games that have been postponed. Maryland's game against number three Ohio State this week postponed due to uh, well actually it's canceled because the Big Ten left no room for postponing games and replaying them so that's a game that Ohio State's going to lose and you got to wonder how that's going to figure into the national championship at the end of the year I mean it's 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 always pretty tough for the playoff committee to pick those teams that are getting into the playoff but it's even worse this year when you're they're not going to have an equal an equal number of games. So um, for Ohio State, they were only scheduled, I think, to play, what, seven in the Big Ten and then plus the Big Ten championship game. Yep. So now they're down to six regular season games. And th- this be one of their, you know, one of the, because Maryland's, what, two and one? And they got two as brother who's been it up. So they're having a real good season, and it would have been, you know, a nice nice win for Ohio State if they could have gotten it, obviously. And and for the playoff committee, that's something, you know, for Ohio State, that's something they need. They need every impressive win they can get because, you know, Johnny, we were talking about this earlier. If Florida were to lose in the SEC championship game to Alabama in a close game, an overtime game or a three-point game or something like that, and, you know, Florida's sitting there with two losses and Ohio State runs the table in the Big Ten but only has six wins, is 6-0, and oh, What's you know what is the you know what is the committee to do and it, it also depends on how Ohio State plays. They've got they're not going to play this weekend, so then they'll have number twenty one Indiana. You know, let's say that's a close game. Um, you know, it, it, it depends. On, I mean, they're going to have the Ohio State's going to have to they're going to have to have style points. They're going to have to run it up. It's not what you want in college football, but it's something they've got to do. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, especially if you're talking about Florida, if if Florida were to win out or you know to get the SEC championship game and and come up a few points short, you look back at a at a loss on the road at Texas A and M to and obviously A and M's a very good football team as well. They're they're ranked in the top ten, right? They've only had one loss. Yeah, they're ranked just ahead of them, number five. Yeah, so you you got to win, you know, you got a close loss on the road and another close loss, and then you have the big win over Georgia, which. You know, a game that you know, the, the score is probably closer than the game was at the end, I think. I mean, they dominated Georgia for most of that game. What they scored? Um, 44. 44. And well, how many in the first half? They were, what, what so 38? 30, 31. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it, it, was, it was an impressive performance by Florida. So, you know, this committee is going to have a really, a really tough time. And, and if Notre Dame were to run the table, and then get beat by Clemson in the ACC championship game in a close game, how do you keep Notre Dame out? Um, how do you keep Clemson out? So these these games that are getting postponed are really going to hurt the Big Ten. And, and this week, three games in the SEC are postponed. But at least some of those are going to be made up. The ones in the Big Ten are not going to be made up. Like LSU and Florida will be made up. Now, this Alabama-LSU game that's not going to be played this weekend they don't really have a, a place to – LSU was already scheduled for that open week they had before the SEC championship game. So unless they can re- refigure a couple of games, that game probably might be lost 
And, and uh, you know, and as far as the national championship hunt goes, I don't think it figure would figure as much because I think Alabama would be a prohibitive favorite in that game, given what LSU has done this year and have, they've lost so much. I mean, if you haven't watched this year, LSU is not close to the team they were last year. I think they lost 16 players to the NFL. Yeah, they're so, horrible. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying that that would have been a game anyway, but again, it, it's it's one last game that you win and one last game you have a chance to impress the voters. And as for Ohio um, State, now that puts Ohio State, that puts them in a big square because now they got to play Indiana. Right, and Indiana's playing good football. 3-0. and uh, Yeah, and they've beaten, what, Penn State and um, uh, Michigan. So, yes. and they're they're playing some really good football. Great Tampa Bay connections. Their coach, Tom Allen, coached here. I believe it, it was it at Armwood. Um, he coached high school football here, the, and the uh, quarterback's from uh, Tampa Bay Tech. So they've got some great Tampa connections on that Indiana team, and they're doing things they haven't done in a long, long time. Um, all right, we we do we not have the Bruce Arians there? We can't we can't run that partner. Uh, I can try it in a second again. All right, well we'll get we'll get to the other stuff too. Other stuff. Um, if you missed it uh, earlier, we had Kurt Weiler on from the Tallahassee Democrat talking about uh, Florida State situation. They lost four key players today. Um, for a different situation, Marvin Wilson, their fine defensive tackle, well, used to play well. He really didn't do squat this year. Very, I think most FSU people were very disappointed in the way he played Marvin Wilson, I'm talking about, on the field. But he's been exemplary off the field, and he's sticking around to support the program. You know, I think he's still going to be a, a high draft choice, but he probably cost himself a lot of money coming back this year, uh, to be quite frank. Uh, so he's, he's going to shut it down for injury. Um, Tamari and Terry, their best wide receiver, Scary Terry, uh, basically is leaving the program. He, he put out something on Instagram today basically saying, it breaks my heart that I can't finish, but he's battled injuries, and I think he wants to go get ready for the draft. I don't know if he improved his stock a whole hell of a lot, to be honest with you. He's a very talented kid. He's a very fast, big, fast receiver. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what his future is. He still has eligibility left. I'm not he sure he's coming back that this year. College football, score, we'll but, see. Uh, but he's done for the year. James Blackman, uh, their former starting quarterback, is entering the transfer portal. You know, it, that's a bad situation this weekend. He got booed when he came wow. in the game um, when uh, George Travis got hurt, and you know, I think he took that real personally. After you know, he's he's been a good soldier for this program. He's been a leader for this program. He's taken a lot of hits for this program, and that's for damn sure. And, you know, even though I don't think he's the most talented quarterback, and he comp, you know, promptly came in and threw a pick six, by the way, in the game and got taken out and booed again. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of booing college football players, especially in this particular situation. Um, he wasn't given a great opportunity to succeed. So, and, and I, and like I told Kurt today in our interview, um, check that out in the podcast, by the way. You know, I think they were probably booing Norvell, the, the decision to put in Blackman, more than they were booing Blackman. I mean, people want to see Chubba Purdy. He's the, uh, he's the future, and I think we're going to see him play a lot this week against NC State. And FSU is going to be playing against uh, Bailey Hockman, the left-hander that was at Florida State for a couple of uh, years. But when, um, when Norvell came, he uh, decided to move on. So they'll face their third quarterback that was either committed or – was here at Florida State this year. They beat Sam Howell from UNC, lost to Jeff Sims at, at Georgia Tech. So we'll see how Bailey Hockman does against them today. 
All right, uh, that'll do it for today's show. Thanks for hanging out with us a little bit. Check out the podcast each and every day. Our live show is podcasted on fanstreamsports.com. Also on the Apple platform, Spotify. Just search us on those platforms and subscribe, and you'll get access to the each and every podcast. Great job, Radio Johnny. Thank you to all the veterans out there for all you do for us. One love. Have a great night, everybody.